Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Monitor Keeping Podcast. And we have a guest today, so you don't just have to hear me and Kai talk about all the stuff we got going on. Uh, so first I'll introduce Kai, and then Kai will introduce our guest. So Kai, how you been, man? Uh, man, I don't know. <laughs> I've been busy. <laughs> but uh, I'll, I'll take uh, I'll take all the all the bad or all the the mess as long as it gives me coli every few months, man. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll, I'll take it all as long as I get to hatch. You know, even if I'm going through all the stuff I'm kind of going through personally, I'm still, you know, treading along, trucking along. And it's just, uh, you know, it's a slow process, I guess. It's because trying to understand everything, you know, and um, like as far as getting down clutches and breeding them and things like that. So I'm still steady it's just there's a whole lot of life lifing right now <laughs> yeah uh, um, but I'll, I'll get into uh i'll get into introducing rob oh, i'm sorry alan what do you want to say anything oh no 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 no. go ahead with rob first and then uh, yeah i just wanted to introduce rob um now some of you may have heard rob here on before um just about his previous projects and uh, also the rudy coli as well i think he was on that episode um, and we're just happy to have him back here again because he's basically doing more magic with his stuff at home. Um, and today, uh, we're trying to do not just his achievements with other monitors, but we're going to mostly talk about the Mile Monitor Project. And so, Absolutely. yeah, man, Rob, uh, glad to have you back, man. I know, I know you and I have grown a lot closer over the last couple of years and everything like that, and so. Yeah, man, I appreciate you, not on a personal level, but also on a monitor keeper and reptile keeper level, man. And so glad to have you back, man. I'm glad to be here. Like I said, I appreciate the fact that it seems like in the last decade, more people are more excited about some of these projects, it feels like. Yeah. I have seen so many obscure monitor species that I would have never guessed were going to be bred in the same year. And 2023 yep. has just got a mess of them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's a congratulations to all those guys, too. And we'll do a little highlight on them as well. Um, now, Rob, uh, I mean, so I'm, let's let's just talk about some of the stuff you're hashing. How about how about that? Well, let's go with that. There's a long list. Here. Uh, <laughs> it, it, you know what? I, I told everyone I picked a heck of a year to decide to go all out on it with, yeah. with how everything's been up and down. Let me tell you. <laughs> I mean, we have Heloderma cooking right now. We have two clutches of Rudy Colas. We have multiple awesome. clutches of Celebensis, Celebensis crosses and the like. Uh, Bivitatis, Salvatore Bivitatis, we have hatching and, and still cooking. Uh, Niles. We have, two, we have two clutches of Niles now, which I never would have guessed we were going to get Niles this year. I mean, we just brought that male in as a rescue maybe a year ago, give or take, like about 40 inches long. I way overpaid. I thought I way overpaid for a female that I got from Steph Tracy. Man, about eight months later, <laughs> never overpaid a dime. Let me tell you, she's worth every penny. <laughs> Good no, stuff. Man. I mean, we had we we hit three hundred and twenty eggs in the incubator this year. Oh, bro! And so you had to upgrade incubators twice in like six months, right? Yeah, I had to buy a two <laughs> five foot by almost four foot. Incubators from Custom Glass Terrariums. Yeah, that's crazy. It's crazy how you uh, go they hold like 150 eggs in each one, something like that. Yeah. It's crazy how you go from that little, you know, that little tan or off-white colored one you got to so, yeah. the ones now, right? It's it's just <laughs> yeah. 
The, the self-made mini fridges by the guy who never had a technological bone in his body, never learned how to build anything besides on the fly. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> it, it is so nice. You don't see condensation on all the egg containers now. I don't have to always just watch them. Half the yeah. fears. Yeah. 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 It, I love when the incubators kind of just, just work for you. Like right now, the one that I have from Sea Serpents, don't get me wrong. It's a beautiful thing. I love it. But damn, I got to babysit the thing. I don't know. It's just I feel like maybe my temperatures change a little bit too much where I have to adjust. And I'm kind of on the ball with that because I kind of peep in there every day. But it's good when an incubator just does what it's supposed to do. You know, there's not very much fluctuation. It holds well. You know, now that it's winter here and it's hot during the day, but very cold at, in the in the morning. And so, yeah, yeah, my temperatures change a lot. It can go from like right now it's up in the 80s in my house. But earlier this morning, it was like 50s. And it's just so, yeah, man, uh, you know, so let's get uh, Alan. I was just going to say, yeah, temps right now are all over the place. All over. Everywhere. Let me tell you, we're hitting 70-degree days and then 30-degree nights. Yep. Yep. Kind of similar <laughs> where I'm at. And uh, so I got – I have uh, one group of animals in the garage, not in the basement. So the garage, it's not insulated. So, you know, to them I say, good luck. But uh, yeah. they're um, they're the sand monitors. So, Hey, it's time to time to show what you're capable of because it's not getting too much better for you this year. I'm thinking about draping some stuff over it and doing kind of one of those makeshift. I know there's a few different things I can do. Right now they're fine, um, but definitely cooling them off this winter and, and letting them go into that vermation mode. And I basically uh, just put pink foam around uh, around my incubator. This yeah yeah pink foam the thick the thick pink foam from yep. foam people. Yeah, I just. Got that? Cut it to shape, and it's it, it's not ideal, but it basically blocks it from getting so much cold draft. Yeah, so yeah. I have some out. of those uh, styrofoam. I think they're maybe three fourths inch. So I'm going to yeah. double those up and just duct tape them around the. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how you my old gar- that's how my old garage was. I had it all taped down the garage door and all that. Yep. Yep. This the new house we. Uh, I pre-riptile set it up. I put a whole separate electric box in the basement. I set, put a separate furnace in the garage here. So we have a three-car garage. Oh, nice. So they would do all the brumation and hold the temperatures and all that. Yeah. Uh, we added one of those automatic uh, gas-powered uh, generators. Oh, yeah. Automatically kick on. I mean, within 30 seconds of basically you lose power, it kicks on. I mean, That's it, where I want to get to. Oh man, it was uh, last year. That was when I made that big jump. Yeah, I said I really wanted 2023. I, if anyone who knows me, I talk a lot, so <laughs> it was it was kind of time to back it up a little bit. All the stuff I preached, kind of show that there was something to it. And I finally have been raising some of these animals for the last four years, give or take. A lot of the collection, it was kind of like the perfect storm. Yeah, new place, new space, brand new cages that I just built. You know. All the different changes I said I made to the house, I made this place ready for it. Yeah, nice. Yeah, that's, well, I like that's it. Good, that's very good. Well, and then, well, I guess we'll yeah we'll get into that now. All that yeah, all, all that stuff you uh, did. How's it paying off for you? <laughs> you talked in about spades. <laughs> in spades. It, it's it's yeah. real crazy. Like at first, and I think that was like what a few years ago when you did the. Dang, what was that uh that locality called? Uh, oh, I did the Simbawa Bibs in 2017 yeah. there, yeah. 
So, and then we had the freeze in 2018 that killed basically all my my entire collection, more or less, besides three animals. Yeah, and that was Lucifer, the Nile Monitor, the start of this whole project. Uh, I came in, and then I had my one Rudy Colas Athena at my uh, personal house at the time, so she didn't have to go through that cold. And then one of the other, sorry, four animals, one other Rudy that she passed now, but she had survived as well. And so this, so this whole collection basically has been restarted since 2018. Yeah. And it's been a, a passion project to say the least. The Nile monitors, I think I, I overthought them early on when I was trying to produce them the first couple of times. We tried to do kind of a, I'm not very patient. I try to buy adult animals for <laughs> my projects. I'm, I'm not the most patient guy. This, this, uh. this, this month's wait, six month wait drives me up a wall. That's uh-huh. why I need to have some of this production. So now it's like, oh, something's hatching every month. Thank God, because I'm too ADHD not to kind of have something to do. Yeah. And it kind of moves me along a little bit more, keeps me driven. And But with the Nile monitors, I always said, you know, I bought the females that were adults. And kind of like everybody else, I thought, you know, these are tough animals. They should be okay. You know, there's not much people can do to ruin them. And I was wrong. <laughs> oh, I, I think. I hate I, to laugh, but I've been there. <laughs> So what, I think, what you did well, I think the most damning thing about them is their reputation for being so tough. Yeah. I think the majority of the adults that we see in captivity right now are males, and the majority of females, from my experience, die by their third year. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I think a lot of that is from at least what I saw. You bought two adult females for Lucifer in the past. Uh, a lot of people kind of followed that project when I had some females for them. And both of them actually ended up gravid. And both nice. of them died of what the vet was calling colitis during the egg uh, process, during development of the eggs. Yeah. And the theory that the vet had given us was essentially mass systematic dehydration that basically had ruined their, their internal organs so that finally when they came into, you might say, proper care and this very stressful event occurred, that's natural cycle, basically there's th- that Why inflammation, whatever caused their uh, – the egg duct or whatever that's called to burst. Okay. Both, both of them had it ruptured from the rubbing. It was like, it was almost like deja vu. We had it happen two years in a row. No, and that's, I, like, that's a, I think when that, when the vet says that it's like, I mean, I guess for everybody that's listening, I didn't really get that. It's kind of like you raise something, it's whole life this way. Right. Like, or, you know, for well, these years, were bought as adults from other people, right? these were bought right. as adults from other people. So they were raised this way. And then, yeah. And then Rob gives them like perfection, but it's that their body isn't conditioned to it, which is why they couldn't take the whole nine yards. And so, um, and it's like someone you see with imports sometimes with their kidneys. When a really yeah. fresh import comes in and someone overfeeds them right away, overhydrates them right away, tries to give them the best intention, it ultimately shuts their system down because they just weren't ready for it yet. Yeah, yeah. that's that's funny. You know, we'll get into that, I guess, a little bit. But um, I don't know if we've really gotten into it too much on the on the podcast at all. But how animals will acclimate to maybe the wrong conditions. And we think because they're now acclimated. And the truth is, a lot of times they'll still breed in wrong conditions. You just won't get the greatest success or whatnot with with that animal. Um, So I don't even... I've, I've seen it in a lot of things going from geckos, right. bearded dragons. Like bearded dragons is a very common one when, you know, people have been basically been there. They can survive being kept 
subpar. You've seen them, oh yeah, you know, tough as can be. like in crazy conditions and still be alive. But uh, you know, going from that to then, like let's say you set them up crazy basking lights and everything like it's not even used to any of that. And I've seen them basically just die. Customers, it's me yeah. helping a customer take care of it correctly, and I use quotes on this. But really, what that animal kind of should have did was go from its extremely chronically dry condition to like maybe somewhat halfway there, halfway. Yeah. And then, yeah. and then in another year or two or several months, do more add-on. Yeah, it's it's a. I, I always say it should be about a three to four month process when I was doing the imports before they are ever put with another one of a, of a different sex. Before they are ever given too many, you might say, sti- too many stimulations. I did saw a lot with tree monitors. Like when I would bring in uh, Persinus, they'd be real, kind of like the Ricolas, real thin, real, just not in good shape. You do not want to bounce those things back with rodents, like the old, like the old adage used to be, like, oh, get them, you know, get them fed up yeah. and ready. No, don't do that. Yeah, start them off on roaches, start them off on grasshoppers, little bit, little bit, little bit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, wow. That's, there's a lot there to unpack if we wanted to do. See, we get on, and I think Niles do that. Just say, sorry, I don't mean. Well, I mean, way like, to bring Niles, it back. Bring it back. Is, <laughs> well, yeah, this is one of those things where it's like we're talking about it again, and we're talking about really just how the hobby itself sees non-moderns, you know. And so, you know, they're kind of if you bought a hundred of them, or a, or you buy that bag from Africa, they're like five, ten dollars each, you know, or oh, quite yeah. cheap, right? And so. I mean, they deserve much more respect than that. And so really uh, a lot of people just sort of like, hey, I can buy this for 25 bucks, you know, and let me just treat it miserably kind of, right? Or they right. just – they're unprepared to take care of it how they really take care of it. I've walked into homes before, not even people that I knew, and there are now monitors and fish tanks all over the world. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And they're just sitting on gravel. Right. <laughs> it's, it's, well, the very, the very animal that started the Lucifer project. I always tell everyone he was a rescue. Lucifer was a ten-year-old's pet that was he was just under ten years old. It was like something like a birthday present. They got him two years prior. He was over five feet long and he weighed almost fifty pounds. He was so yeah. obese. Yeah, I, I never. You should not be anywhere near that at five feet long. Yeah, the idea our breeder coming eye that just came from the vet. He was eighteen pounds at five feet long. So, I mean, this animal was way heavier than he should have been. He died at almost seven feet long and weighed less than when I got him. That's incredible. And seven that's foot. Yeah, that's, he never should have been that heavy. That's one of the reasons I think he got that big. Yeah. All right. But, all right. Sorry. We're going to – no, no, no. It's not you. We're on non-monitors. We're just, yeah, we're just it, a little tangent. Um, it, He's a non-monitor, I mean. For, for the listeners out there. Me and Kai, this that f- going forward, we're going to try to stay very uh, on topic, uh, but you know, to the best of our ability, I'll put that little. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, um, I, this relates. It's kind of like his uh, his uh, his getting them acclimated to what they want to do as far as right, playing, right, so right. It's all good. It's all good. Yeah. So maybe maybe for the the newer people that are just um, going to listen to this episode to start off with, Rob, um, what. Will you share with us some of the the history of like Nile monitors and what's what's a Nile monitor? What often gets called Nile monitors? You know, yeah. just a, just a quick overview of what we're talking about. So here. when I'm talking about Nile monitors, I am not talking about Ornatus. I am talking about Niloticus. So oh, the biggest difference, the easiest way to separate the two, as far as if you're trying to make common names, 
You have the, a water monitor from Africa, which is Niloticus, and you have a forest monitor, Ornatus. Their structures are built that way for a reason. They have different tail shapes. They have different length of tails, different head shapes, different diets, all kinds of differences. Yeah. So for this, we're talking about Diloticus right now. Yeah. They can max out, uh, I, I used to say six feet, but now I'll tell you they can max out well over six feet long. Uh, they are a a very underappreciated monitor for their size. Absolutely. I always say people buy this monitor for $20 and you have just bought one of, one of if not the largest monitor in all of Africa, lengthwise. Yeah. Yep. And you have just put that thing in a fish tank. When it's supposed to be a water monitor, mind you, which a fish a fish tank is a dehydration machine unless you have done different alterations to the tops. Yeah. There is there is no way to trap that uh, moisture that's rising. That's why people will hear me go on tangents all the time. I believe that is one of those things that was causing the issues with the female Niles that I was getting. I believe they were raised in these dehydration chambers basically their entire lives. They were lucky enough to survive the three years to get to maturity. And like we just said, they crashed, unfortunately, when the time came and the proper care was given. Yeah. Niles are kept way too heavy. Typically, we'll see that with a lot of monitor species. But they should have a nice thick side wrinkle on the side of their body. They should not have a almost like elongated abdomen there. It shouldn't look all uh, bloated unless they're full of eggs. I mean, even my gravid female tricked me. Because after she laid her last clutch, I was on the phone with my buddy Jason. I was like, I, I don't know if she laid or if she just ate that chick and she looks a little like just under bloated or I don't know what's going on and decided to dig. And they were there. Her shape basically stays this real tight little like, – it's, it's a tight shape basically she has. It's the same with my best breeding Rudy Cola's shape. They should have – they, they should look active. They shouldn't look like they're having a hard time moving. They shouldn't look like their back hips are having to move with their leg to move that section of the body. Yeah. I mean, you don't see that crawl. They shouldn't have to do that, especially Niles. Niles should be fast. They're running away from crocodiles. They're running away from <laughs> other predators when they're raiding their nest for eggs. These things are not slow animals. Anyone who's seen a fresh wild caught, like even juvenile Nile monitor that was healthy, they're crazy. They have so much speed, so much energy. They are cool, but they need to be respected. And they should have the space for that. So I treat them like a water monitor. Nice. Everyone always says, well, what should I do? Look up Asian water monitor care, and 90% of their year is very similar, actually. If you, if you look up the, the uh, temperatures in West Africa, the lowest their temps ever go in any of the ranges of Nile monitors in Western Africa – the lowest they ever go are 64 degrees for January, February, and part of March at nighttime. They're still getting well into the 80s during the day. That's the only big difference you're going to find between the Asian, spe- the Indonesian species and the African, you might say, water monitors. Yeah. That, that no, I like difference. I love it because it's, it's getting people to wrap their heads around um, – because I had this conversation I, probably with Kai and with a few other people about the two separate African species. There's more species of monitors, but the two that always get confused. And uh, it's like comparing it to a water monitor is great. And then um, it's, it's kind of like your your African water monitor and your African lace monitor, in my opinion. Yeah, your forest it's monitor, like- exactly. They, they are athletic. They are large. They are ornatus. I, don't, I always tell people there are two bites you don't want to take. 
You don't want to take a bite from a Salvadori or an Ornatus. Or Dorianus. <laughs> you know what? I, I don't know if I'm not giving him enough credit, but an 18-inch Ornatus gave me three stitches. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that thing was only yay big. You know, it wasn't that big of an animal. And it yeah. lunged. I had a mouse in my hand. I was jerking off like I shouldn't have been doing, just going like this with it. thing yeah. lunged up, cleared at least 18 inches, like this whole body length, basically, and got yeah. my finger and just shook one good time, and I'm bleeding everywhere. Yeah. And I was like, Man. wow, these things have jaws. I mean, they crush snails. We'll buy, we'll uh, get sometimes there's different local guys who breed different uh, different a- apple snails, something like that. Yeah. And they will crush their shells without even a thought, my Ornatus. And Nilodicus, I can tell you, can't do that. Yeah. They don't have half the jaw strength. And do you see that side by side from the oh, yeah. you see it? The, the you profile Ornatus, of the. You put an Ornatus versus Nilodicus. It's almost like putting a tegu versus an Asian water monitor. Yeah. Ornatus have these big jaws when they really come of age and they get to that five foot plus. Nile monitors, they have the oddest body structure when they get big. Yeah, I swear, tiny, I don't, tiny little heads with huge little, bodies. Yeah, little heads that are so unintimidating for their body size. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> My, that, that Lucifer, uh, the seven foot Nile, he was, I said, he was six foot eight. My four and five foot water monitors were eating food the same size as him yeah. because his head was just the same size as theirs. Yeah. And you're like, oh, that's a female. No, he was a big boy. You know, it's funny. We I just did this with my uh, my son. What? I, I would guess a few months ago, actually now. But um, we go back and forth. He, he loves to argue, not in a bad way, like disrespectful to his parents, but uh, whether it's a football team, you know, or something where he loves to debate stuff. So it came up with, um, uh, I'm old school. T-Rex is still the king of the dinos. Right. But this new generation, whatever they're feeding them, they're all about these spinosauruses and whatnot. So we're get, trying to get all technical and we'll make them like bring the here. You can look online, but you got to bring some facts to support your argument. <laughs> and, then, and then I got to go and try to like, disprove his argument so we're talking about the the jaw shape of the different dinos and no this one couldn't possibly uh 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 you know and uh it's funny now we're talking about this i'm gonna make him listen to this episode (laughs) so what everybody's saying this is for my son only caleb is uh what these experts i have here uh are saying is that a t-rex will beat a spinosaurus hands down okay son i'm sorry that's just how it is all right, we can continue. Yep, yep, yep. For that, for that episode, because he <laughs> believes if if it's online and people are talking about it, we got to teach him. You know what's <laughs> can't oh. trust all your sources, but <laughs> do you know how many people I've been yelled at by who say that Nile monitors are not water monitors or nothing like Indonesian water monitors? We're using it as a general term. Oh my <laughs> yeah. gosh! Oh, it's like and it's like what can we, what can't you take from a lizard that lives the majority of its life around water? That needs high humidity, that feeds predominantly on eggs, fish, you know, not a lot of rodents and different things like the forest monitors would. I mean, I I get the same thing from the Indicus people or people that keep them. And then the the way I speak, you know, it's kind of like as I say Indicus, I kind of mean all of them. Right. And then when I say, oh, a peach throat, it's just a mangrove monitor. It's just a different kind, you know, a Dorianus or or all these other ones are kind of just like, uh, you know, they're just a mangrove monitor, just a different type. And so that's right. kind of like a general classification. Even if Niles aren't Salvatore, 
It's yeah. just they live in water, so you know they have a lateral compressed tail and all that other stuff. That's and the, the locals literally call them water monitors. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's kind of like you know I, I'm going to go by the local common term on that one. I'm same sorry. thing right. with uh, same thing with the savanna white throat black throat. Uh, oh yeah. yeah, they're a savanna monitor. They're so they're, they're, you know, and so they're they you know they just they're 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 a, a bulky headed savanna type of grassland wetland type of animal and so you yeah know, yeah it's a general term is how we say it and then yeah. if you really want to get specific then you say you know more more along the lines of latin names and things like that you know? oh yeah. yeah oh and for our listeners if, if you want a good time um just go look up the actual size of the african continent like Look like uh, look at an actual uh, to scale map of the world and see how big Africa is. I there's stuff we haven't even seen yet that we could probably you know I don't know when oh, yeah. we will, but as far as probably other monitor species or at least subspecies, um, because so much of this area is either untouched or just dangerous. To, it's it's there's not enough civilization there to even go. There's not roads to go cruise through some of these areas to see some of these things. So, um, yeah, I, I would love it if in our lifetime, you know, we see some new things pop out of Africa because when we think Africa and we think monitor species, you think your, you think Nile monitors, like Kai said, Nile monitors and Savannah monitors. And then the other stuff you might see are just subspecies of those, you know, but those are where it's at. That's what you see. But there's got to be some other stuff out there. Um, who knows? I, I want to see. I, I want to see the other localities. So yeah. I don't know if you've ever seen any photos. Congo, like the eastern yeah. Nilotic species around the Congo, look much more like Ornatus. That's kind of where those the cross, natural crosses might actually be. Yeah. And there's a lot of debate about those. Where you might be able to find out a lot more about this species if we just brought some of those in. Yeah. I have one right now. I think. I sent this one to the group, didn't I, Kai? The one that we yeah. I think is a ornate Nile. I think I might actually have a true mythical ornate Nile in my oh, care. Wow. Uh, nice. It was Chris Foley bought it and sent it over here on loan to do an Ornatus project. And let me tell you, if I sent you the three photos, one of a Nile, one of an ornate, and then one of this animal, is exactly what you would expect to get by breeding the two. Huh. Yeah, you got it has tongue color of Ornatus. It has the number of um, rows of ocelli of Ornatus while having the pattern of Niloticus, like the, across the ocelli. Oh, little awesome. Ocelli. For yeah, our listeners, uh, I guess let's just – I guess we could try to um, uh, differentiate between how much rows and spots the Niles have compared to the ornate and then the the, the, the tongue color. You want to you let them know so that way they understand kind of what what you're talking about? As far so as I'd have to double check the row count number for you. I think you. it's five or six. I think. Yeah, it's five or six. Exactly. It's five or six, and I'd have to double in check between the, in between the arms. So yeah, from yeah, shoulder blade to tail base. Yeah, yeah, in between the arms, and then the and pink tongue is ornatus. Yeah, pink tongue is ornatus. Blue tongue is niloticus. And, and then kind of crazy. as they grow, it becomes more and more dramatic as they age. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, 
So I, I, even in, even in the just let's just stick to Niloticus. I mean, the amount of color. Well, see, it's hard with some pictures because they might be of something else because um, we're only seeing the pictures, you know, stock photos or whatnot that you could look up. But the amount of color variation across those animals and what you'll see is, you know, from the yellows, the blues, the even into almost a completely gray looking animal. Um, I mean, go ahead. If, if you've, you've looked into it much more than I have. I, ha- I have a little bit on this, just a little bit. Thanks to uh, the godfather of Niles, Rob Faust, gave me a little yeah. bit of information when I was picking his brain here around. And this project started in 2017, 2018, when I first brought Lucifer in. I got so curious about him. And apparently the really high yellow ones like Lucifer that had his specific pattern came from Senegal. And then the ones that I am, the ones we call Blue Niles now, the old rumor used to be that they were Southern Niloticus. They're not. They're Egyptian? No, they're not Egyptian. They're Tanzanian. Wow. Okay. Um. And then in Tanzania, you also see one. I, I posted a few pictures of them. We used to call them leopard phases. And these look like black and gray leopards. The only way I could put it, if you want to see them, I'll post some more pictures on Fox Reptiles Facebook. These things were wild when I had them. That's the only way I could, they were a different looking animal, but apparently yeah. come from the same area as these blue Niles do, according to Rob. Oh, wow. So, so for the listeners, if you could imagine just the U.S., okay, if you go from um, the West Coast to the East Coast, let's say California to Florida, and you imagine all the different kind of king snakes we have, something very similar could be at play across these different species that we're talking about now. Oh, so, definitely. Yeah. So you're going to see that type of variation. It's not like they're all going to stay the same. So at some somewhere, you know, you could you see high yellow and blue in an well, animal. And that's the Tanzanian ones we're working with right now that I actually produce. They have a really yellow back with a super blue throat. And then the female looks almost green. She's like a perfect combo of yellow and blue. I uh, would love to show her to people in person. She's an evil animal. You cannot grab <laughs> her. She will hurt herself to get away from you. She is a, she's the, she is the stereotype. But when I, with my breeders, a lot of the time I tell people this, I'm not buying a lot of these wild caught animals to be my pets. Yeah. They are genuinely here to breed, to live out their lives in the best care possible. I will handle the God out of their, their babies. That, yeah. that is the goal to make captive bred ones that never go through those stresses, that never go through all the other stuff that we can all right. play with. You know, so like, I always still joke about playing with them. That's the point of a pet. You right. know what? Everyone has a different definition of play. Some of it's tongue feeding. Some of us, it's we want an animal that climbs up our leg every time we come around. Some of them want you know something completely different. For me, like I said, I'm usually a tongue feeder. You know, As long as they fly around for tongue feeding, I'm happy. Yeah. That, that, that's yeah, why I'm, I think it's so fun. Yeah, it really is. That's why... When I get it built, the, if if I can do this for myself, when I build the shop that I want to in the backyard here, uh, to remember that you know, it's it's nice to have stuff in the middle. I can put extra cages there, but leave a big enough space where I can just have fun and bring these animals out and just yes. mess around with them. Because having to step over a box, having to step over this <laughs> transitional cage, yeah, you guys know it's you know, oh, I've been uh, there. don't kick over this. I currently <laughs> have that situation now where. 
if I want to get down and do stuff, I have to move this box over here. And if I right. want to get the cages in front of those boxes, I got to slide that box to the other side. And then this box, you know, I'm only working with a little bit, little room. So this is why I can never keep venomous stuff. I don't have that discipline right now or that organization. Maybe, maybe once the kids are gone and in the future, I could. But right now I would trip over something be stuck in the corner looking at some snake looking at me like oh man <laughs> but anyway yeah <laughs> I, I was speaking the cages I, you would have you would have loved my old my old reptile room that got when a guy broke into it he let out my 14 foot uh super tiger uh super tiger retic uh-huh and this animal was great once she was turned off and this guy did he, on camera. We showed this around the Pittsburgh Reptile Show. I used to have the recording on uh, on on my phone. She showed it around the Pittsburgh Reptile Show. This guy opens up her cage because I had just taken him in that day. Uh huh. And he reaches into her cage. She nails him. Oh, good. Blood, it's the blood <laughs> everywhere. I came in, had no idea any of this occurred. There's blood on my floor. There's a snake on top of a seven foot uh, lizard cage. Oh man! I'm like, oh, this is not going to be fun. This is not going to be a good day. Uh I love love to hear that he got his though, right? Uh, oh, he, you know what? And he got he got arrested. All the fun stuff. That was that awesome. was in like 2016. Now it was a while ago. Man, wow. yeah, good stuff. That was good stories like that. Place. Yeah, good stories like that. Good, good, good. Um, so okay, let's let's. I think Kai was just saying oh, yeah, something um, about. I guess because we're talking about cages. Uh, how do you keep your Niles now compared to? A year ago or two years ago. So before, I think I was keeping them uh, seasonally drier than I'm doing now. I'm trying to keep more consistent on the humidity side of things and a little more on the uh, elevation for them, actually. So okay. my old cage was an 8 by 8 by 4 which is similar to what I'm using right now. But I didn't really have many elevated platforms. Like I said, I let it dry out randomly trying to get this. I had this kind of theory about the seasonal dry seasons that didn't seem to come to pass for me too much. Um, then after I did some reading, it didn't seem like apparently there isn't much of a dry season there, actually. They call their cold time that 64-degree night, 80-degree day. Okay. I think yeah. it's just less rain. It is, exactly. It's, it's why, that's why I was comparing them to Indonesia. It's more of a rain cycle where they're still raining almost every day. But it's just less of it almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I've been keeping them much more moist. And then I'm actually going with a little bit less depth on the substrate. And like I said, I'm going higher as far as platforms, climbing areas. Uh, their nest box is a little bit larger than the old one I used to run for my females. Uh, I usually Talk about like, that too. Uh, just a mental note. Let's get back to that nest box. But go ahead. So the There's next like four part, mental notes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Or, or, or go ahead. Go ahead. Remember, so I'm counting on you. Uh, <laughs> the old one I used to use was this trash can that was a little – it was a little bit longer. It was like probably four foot tall, but it was uh, only like three or two feet wide. I love the simplicity. It's <laughs> I, I had built this – well, I used this trash can. I built it into the floor of my old cage. My old 8 by 8 was elevated off the ground yeah, on yeah. stilts. Yeah. So I had, I had this heated thing and – that's where my original female had nested, but she laid on top. That's where that's the only clutch I ever really got put out there was on top of that nest. That was your standard sand topsoil. I don't know you call it nest, but at least at different different dimensions. Yeah. So I decided to try more of an internal cage that I leave in uh, more. I pull it in and out basically of, the, of there to avoid fights. 
but it's your standard 100 gallon black tote, basically. Okay. So it's longer instead of deeper. It's about two and a half or something like that feet deep. Yeah. But it's about four or five feet long. What I think was the big difference with this cage is it's almost similar to my Rudy Colas. I have a lot more peat in this one than, okay. than a sand soil mix. It's almost uh, Mike Stefani always talks about his magic dirt pile that he goes to a stump. Uh-huh. It almost reminds me of that texture. Uh, the one clutch I was pulling goes, that looks familiar. It's like, you're dang right it is because you're the one who showed me some of this stuff. You know, I, I follow your videos. I follow John's videos. I follow all these videos trying to get ideas. Yeah. And that there is a lot more species that I've noticed that I used to be all sandy soil. That was all my nests. Yeah. And I was getting random species where all my clutch would be on the ground or different odd places. And something as simple as basically making it a, a cocoa peat mix all of a sudden these same animals are nesting properly and I'm burying, uh, I like to bury wood in my nest boxes. I always find my eggs under those, bar- the buried wood. Yeah. I don't care what species it is. They all love it. Yeah. It's funny. So a lot of this, um, I don't know if the same, it's the same, um, out here, the peat mixture or whatever they're calling peat out here. But I started adding a lot of that, I'd say a year and a half ago to yeah. um to nest boxes and i i like the way it made the the soil feel mixed with cocoa mixed with sand usually um and whatever i had laying around now um but for that very same reason it seemed like it, it just worked better and then also uh, for a lot of the dwarf monitors i can't say so much for the well yeah, the sand monitors will dig under something usually to lay, but uh, it's in the cage. But in the nest boxes with the dwarf monitors, I started just putting a piece of bark over the top, you know, yes. sticking in there halfway, um, things like that. So <laughs> you're absolutely right. I've, I've seen the similar things. Um, well, the, using the Rudy's were the same way where I took the uh, cork tube out uh-huh. and she almost didn't seem like she knew where to lay. She laid at the bottom of her other cork tube where there was a pile of peat from her digging and leaving a pile of peat <laughs> from the nest box. She laid that clutch over there, the not this last clutch, but the clutch before. As soon as yeah. I put that cork tube back in, nested properly again this time. Awesome. Uh, I think awesome, there are certain awesome. things that's, that monitors just – they're real basic, but they're needed, I think. And they, they add mm-hmm. to that comfort level. Uh, usually, like one of my monitors, if, if, say, this female Nile gets over five feet, I like to go to 150-gallon ponds for nests at that size. The black ponds, bury yeah. a bunch of big uh, logs, bury some cork. That's when things get a little more tricky because you can't really remove that as easily. Yeah. I try not to get to that stage too quickly. I try to almost push the bin as long as I can. But a couple of my females, I just had to go to the bigger uh, pond style and kind of hope they don't kill the males when you're repairing. Yeah. Th- those nests could be trouble. That- that's a huge thing. Niles don't seem to have that problem. This female, she nest guarded before she laid. And then every time she lays now, I can put the mail back, acts like she never happened. I pulled huh. the eggs right in front of her both times. She didn't bother me at all. That's I can awesome. tell you right now, any of my Salvatore I do that in front of, they are at very least coming to inspect what I am doing. Yeah. A couple of my females will come up to you while you're digging and like start smacking you with their tail and hiss at you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they, they do not get happy with what you're doing, so you just have to remove them. Yeah. The Nile, she doesn't give a crap. She'll go bask, watch what you're doing. You pull the eggs. I leave the infertiles out for her in a food bowl, kept the fertile eggs, and basically that was the end of the day. Yeah, that's awesome. So that interaction, um, are, are you seeing – well, is the male in the cage? Not when she's laying, no. He, he, okay. will, he, he will eat those eggs absolutely because usually what happens is 
we had this happen. It was kind of funny. The male broke out of the female's cage the first day I put him back this last time after breeding. Uh-huh. And I just forgot to lock the one window and he wiggled his way through the corner. I find him in her old nest, the one she just nested in like two weeks prior, digging a hole where those eggs have been pulled from. Oh, he was on the hunt, huh? Yeah, he was looking <laughs> for eggs. Yeah. And I was joking. I spent like one other time with a coming eye. When I yeah. first got my pair of coming eye, the male broke into one of my nests. I, I laughed because I just threw his ass in the bin and put that whole bin into the nest for his female afterwards because it was from a different female's cage. Gotcha. He, he caught himself. He was trying to yeah. dig into those eggs. And he caught himself. <laughs> Good, good to know for anybody that uh, in the future that wants to pick up this project, remove the male. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, the females, yeah, said, so far, him. two for two, she's tried to kill him before. Oh, yeah. Good. Before laying, she I gets mean, good really, that you, you take him out. <laughs> well, I, I didn't know that either. I, I saw it on camera. Go to dinner with my family the one day. I'm looking at my wise camera. I just happened to look because the kids went to the bathroom. So I looked at my camera as I click on the Niles. I see her going full Velociraptor at my mail, like lunging across the cage at him. I'm like, oh, jeez, oh, man. Got to go. We, we leave dinner. We get home. Yeah. I was like, I'm sorry. We got to pack all the food. My lizards are going to kill each other right now. <laughs> and my kids, uh, think that, my kids think that's completely normal at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, They're, yeah. Dad, are you going to be up digging eggs tonight? Uh, yeah. yeah, for a little while. Oh, okay. Well, I named like each of the males after my different animals, like my after my kids after the animals and all that. So they'll be uh-huh. like, oh, is, did we have more babies? And, you know, they all have competitions of who has more babies now. It's kind Oh, of that's fun. fun. Yeah, I like that. And do you feel um, like uh, the Niles? Oh, go ahead, Adam. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, no, no. You're, no. you're on topic, so. Oh, do you feel like the the – the Niles and stuff like that breed as well as uh, your water monitors have. I mean, you haven't hatched them just yet, but like, do you feel like they like, you know how predictable, you know, it gets when we've done it. A few yeah. times, you know what I mean, are they just as predictable or has it been more of like a, like for me, I, I don't really know what's happening sometimes until she's laying Cause mine are so, you know, they hide a lot. Sometimes determined. Yeah. So the, she cycled two times now. This first time she laid 47 days ago now. And then she laid 45 days after that. I had paired the male too late because technically speaking, that means she cycled one week after laying last time. And then, you know, finished her cycle day 15 after laying some, or somewhere around there. And the male was put in on day 18. That's why I only got five this time out of the 12 eggs. The pairing was actually too late. Yeah. Now, like I said, I don't know if it's going to be that consistent that fast. I'm wondering if it's seasonal, like where they'll drop like three fast clutches kind of thing. Yeah. And then maybe take a break. My my Indonesian stuff takes no breaks. No matter what I do for them, as long as they're being kept properly, they yeah. don't slow down for me. Um, so we're trying to kind of see if the Niles do that. I'm going to give them the opportunity to like, keep cycling. But I don't know yet if we're going to get even a third cycle. I told everyone I was expecting one cycle and then, you know, I'd have to wait a year. My yeah. original theory was they were a once-a-year breeder, basically. Yeah. yeah. And I was wrong. Yeah. Happily so, mind you. Very yeah. wrong. And, like, I, I, think, I think, like, they say African monitors lay tons of eggs. Yeah. And I'm ho- I'm hoping that's the case because I could, I could take a hundred of these things. No. Bring it no, on. Like, <laughs> so that, compared to... Okay, so like tree monitor stuff, maybe three to five eggs, something like that. My stuff, 
basically three eggs, six eggs max, something like that. Most things are within the realm of a half a dozen, a dozen, and then maybe even really high, like as 20, right? Something like that. Yeah. But dang, these things are like savannas, white throw, these things can spit out like 30, 40 eggs. And it's that's insane. It's, it's insane. Well, that, and that's what my first female Nile did, that bigger one that had the colitis issue the second time around. She yeah. dropped 35. Well, this female that dropped the 12 twice now in 47 days, she's only 44 inches long. Yeah, that's insane, too. She's not a big female for a Nile. I honestly, when I had that pair together, I assumed the male was a little too young and the female. The male yeah. came in as a rescue. Um, the gentleman that I got my one sulfur female on loan from at the time, he goes, part of the deal for the loan is you got to take this Nile in. It came in as a rescue. I wasn't going to bring any more Niles in after Lucifer passed. I was I was like, you know what? I failed. I, yeah. I was going to take my losses on that one, take it on the chin and say I failed. And I was like, you know what? Fine. I want to do the sulfur project. I'll bring in that, that male Nile. He was like 38 inches long at the time. He, he's evil too, mind you. He, he reminds me of a small <laughs> Lucifer, but skinny and healthy actually. Oh. And so he was flying around for food. I'm like, you know, I need to find a female. I'm going to try one more time. And that was this female. Like I said, overpaid a little bit for a younger one because I didn't want – there was a couple of females at the time were like five feet long, four feet long that were a little older. I was like, you know what? I want to go younger this time. I want to be the one that gets them through those transition points as far as cycling, as far as making sure like when all those happen, basically they happen on my time, you might say. Yeah. Like what I believe is the appropriate times in my care. And that seems to be the biggest difference so far with this female. We have another uh, grow-up that I believe is female from Brian Waterloo, actually. Uh, she's only about 15 inches long or so. But we're hoping to kind of repeat that with her. Nice. Keeping her just like the Salvatore in the same style caging. Uh, most of the year, that, that is 78 degree on the cool side. That That is 90 degrees on the hot side with a 130 degree basking spot. But I only – I was telling Kai this. I don't believe in nighttime low drops with a lot of these species. I think one of the big reasons that we see so many Florida keepers almost seem like they get seasonal eggs and then we believe those occur seasonally is because their temperatures are only appropriate seasonally. Hmm. You know what I mean? I, I think I have that, a lot of theories on, on that stuff too. But <laughs> I, I think that there's a reason why the tree monitors in the Salvador I do better in Florida than you might say the Salvador yeah. breeding wise. Salvatore right. need a little warmer. That's one of the reasons I don't think Rudy Cole is a bread in Florida as much. I think Niles have a similar problem. Right. I think Florida actually gets too cold besides that one little patch. I can't remember what's, where they're at. In South Florida, where they seem like they're thriving. I think it's Cape Coral, where they're thriving right now apparently is the story. Yeah. That is a small area that has a one specific microclimate basically that's specialized for them. It right. just happens to not get too cold. I'd love to go find them there, by the way, just to – me too. They're high yellow, and they look like the Senegal ones, like Lucifer. Right. Oh my gosh. I want. I want. I've heard I that's a make chore. A, is it? They dive like the iguanas do. Apparently. I want to make the Florida trip. There's a few species I want to find from all over the world, and uh, just you know, they're there. It is what it is at this point, and uh, I want to go see them. And it's a lot more cost effective than me flying to three different countries. <laughs> so. I, I'm, you know what? I'm on board. If you can give me a couple months heads up, I would go catch Niles. Maybe, yeah. I yeah, would. Maybe you next you would have me on board in a second. My wife would be like, "Have fun." All right, Kai, <laughs> you hear this? 
Kaiser, and he's not I answering. Mean, he's not. He's like, I am not going all the way to your guys' side of the woods here. I'm gonna need my inhaler. <laughs> I definitely. <laughs> Yeah, I've noticed if you guys you guys can't see it right now, but Kai, it looks like he's um, borderline today. So uh, you, you having some troubles over there, Kai? No, nah, man, I'm just listening. I just like I was thinking in my head a trip to Florida with the guys. I, I don't know. I think I'd die there. Well, I, I can know. tell you right now, I, I need an excuse to go see Justin uh, Iguodala. Iguodala. Sorry, I can never pronounce his last name for my life. Man, I've known him for the better part of a decade now. I haven't visited him in like two years. He's. Not, I need to go visit him. Oh man, I think. Yeah, I think we can make something out of this. So um, we'll talk about that some more. Okay, we'll talk about that some more. So there's um, yeah, there's there's a guy I want to meet if he's up for it. Um, kind of as a the a joint blue tree project over there. So love to go actually say hi. Um, a few other things that I you know could do over there. But number one, let's go find some stuff. Um, That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I want to catch some tokes. Oh, the chameleons too. I've yeah. never found a chameleon there. Yeah. No, see, no, I want to find, find the chameleon. They have veils, panthers, and ustlets or ostaleti, and uh, I'd love to find them. I've, I've oh, yeah. always been. Uh, I, I remember finding them in Hawaii. That was a pretty yeah. Yeah, that was I was super stoked. I went to Hawaii for a vacation with the girlfriend. She lived there, though she grew up there, but she was on the mainland. That's what they call the United States, like you know the the the, the other states. And so, um, yeah, we basically went there, and I just uh, went up this this hill called the uh, uh, Poly Highway or something like that. This local took me right. And like you couldn't uh-huh. even you have to park way down there and then walk up this thing. You couldn't even take your car anymore. Yeah, Jeez. it was crazy, man. Finding chameleons in the wild, or I mean, I know any lizards are like that, but finding a chameleon in the wild is pretty oh, awesome. Cool. Yeah. So, yeah. So wait, you're saying you could do that, but you can't do this uh, Florida trip? You know, Florida is mm-hmm. different, man. I, I, I smell something. There's gators there. You know what I mean? And I'm a little person. Yeah, and I, I offered to bring Justin. He's the gator specialist. <laughs> Kai, for what it's worth, I'm allergic to gators too. So this yeah, uh, we can man, be allergic no, to gators. Me and Justin <laughs> play with the gators, okay? I'll, I'll leave it to me and Justin, and then you guys can right, just stay the side for a second. I saw this. Yeah, someone's got a earlier. Oh, sorry, I, I got six kids at home. I, I got lots of reasons to risk it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I saw this girl wrestling a gator online this morning, right? And I was like, I don't think I can even do that. You know, maybe after a little while, but yeah, I don't know, man. I think I'm so used to city life that anything so big like that is so foreign to me still. Like, I mean, I've been keeping reptiles for years, but I'm still that's something I'm hesitant about because you don't, you know, we don't deal with crocs and stuff. You know, oh man, I, I want to go for years. I love them. Yeah, so I was, I was, I was more scared of uh, grabbing in Sri Lanka, grabbing the water monitors than I was of if I had the chance to grab something of the crocodiles that were over there. I don't know why that was. They're faster. But, that's why. Yeah, they're faster, and, and those crocodiles weren't that big. Uh, I can tell you right now, I've, I've worked with plenty of crocodilians and pre- plenty of Salvatore. I would much rather deal with the angry crocodilian. Yeah. yeah. Uh, unless you're talking about like a 15-foot animal. If you're talking about like a 10-foot and below, man, a Salvatore will get you just as bad much faster. Ooh. Uh, 
All right. One. Yeah. Dude, I would love to find those. I, I, they're, that's so much fun. And a Burmese. I, I, I need I'm going to go there. Burmese. Let's go. Yeah, stiff my pocket. Check my pockets on the way out of Florida. Cause that's why you're <laughs> driving. Right? I'll have we'll, 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 I'll we'll, have we'll have Kai like meet us halfway across the country. You know, He'll only fly in like halfway, and we'll figure out how we'll get him back to him. Uh-huh. All different anole species, geckos, everything. I just... Uh, my poor wife. Uh, but um, all right. All right. Let's get back on it. Um, talk about Rob. So you were talking about your your nighttime drops or not using nighttime drops, yeah. keeping consistent temps. I'm guessing. Yeah, so, so usually when I'm turning stuff off at night, so my cages, anyone who's seen them, they're not the most intricate setups. But I like to uh, Brad Salswell used to say, make them a playground. You know, give them all the opportunities to go up high, go low. You don't want them falling off and hurting themselves. You know, kind of that mindset. And I think a lot of the times people don't realize how much you can black out the bottom when you do that. Because with those platforms and all that, you can make areas that are so dark, you can't see anything from the outside of there. Yeah. I mean, I will lose monitors in these cages and I will have to open them up and dig around to find animals in their cage. Yeah. They're, they're finding plenty of places to go and go to bed, you might say, and get their proper night cycle. But I believe temperature is the most important thing when it's doing the monitor stuff, consistency in temperature. I, you know, and I talk about this a lot with Salvatore and Indonesian species, and they, that's why the mindset I've taken to Nilodicus. Uh-huh. I, think, I, think outside, I think outside of the seasonal stuff, I think a lot of it is opportunistic breeding. Yeah. I think it's – I find an area that has the resources I need – Basically, I, now my cycle has started. That's why feeding seems to be the one of the bigger triggers, those in barom, uh, barometric pressure changes. But a lot of mine's food cycling where they'll kind of glide, real light food, real light food. And then if people think up food, I'm only talking about upping like a chick or two with a lot more uh, calcium and vitamins usually mixed in. Mm-hmm. And something about that combination with the consistency and temperatures, a little bit of spray down, pick the right storm. It's, it's real, a lot of them seem to consistently go with that breeding-wise. That, you know, that's worked with Rudy Colas, Salvatore, Niles. I mean, I'm trying to do with that, that Onatus cross here next year. I'm hoping it does the same thing or whatever it is, pure Onatus, whatever the heck that animal is. Yeah. I'm hoping a lot of this is across the board. And I think we've made things in our attempts to, I might say, make care better. I think we've overthought it a little bit sometimes. Yeah. I think especially Every, for captivity. Everyone's so hung up on – uh, one of my old buddies who used to help me out before we had a little falling out used to build some of the most beautiful visual cages you would ever see. They had the waterfalls. They had the logs. They had everything. But then when I went and took my temp gun to his cage, some of the corners were in the 50s because you're yeah. building into your walls in your basement here in Ohio and the winter changes everything. Yeah. Summertime, that corner might be 70 degrees. But in the winter, all of a sudden, that wall was 50-something degrees. And I believe that was much more detrimental than it was beneficial to have all the other stuff because he didn't notice those corners. He didn't right. notice. He was overdoing it and missing. Everyone says, well, you missed the forest for the trees or whatever the saying is. You know, you're, 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 drop, you're uh, stepping over dollars to pick up pennies. Right. In care. Yeah. I, I, I think that's our biggest mistake. <laughs> I think we need to get back to consistency. Right. I see people go for these um, – uh, Great looking cages that Pretty are bioactive. Bumping. This, yeah, and so, yeah. but the and the animal will run from one end of the cage to the other. But what they're actually using is 
a two foot square in the middle of an eight foot cage, say for a dwarf monitor or even yeah. some, some of the larger monitors, they're using two square feet for what they actually need in life. And they'll say, oh, they use every inch of it. No, you see them running all over it. Yes, that's yeah. great. But you could make that usable. Take yeah. out half that stuff that you, you think looks pretty and it does, but it's not usable. And, um, you know, you see animals sometimes get sick or they go down in some of these cold corners. They never come back up. Um, different. Ron St. Pierre said it best, <laughs> I think, when it came to that. Uh huh. So everyone always argues, well, why would they use them if, you know, they didn't like them? Ron St. Pierre said they're evolutionary, not evolutionarily not designed to come in contact with these kind of temperatures. They're finding a dark corner that just happens to usually be the coldest part of your cage because it's usually the most under cared for whatever. And that's why they're there for so long. They're cooling off, getting sick, dying, whatever. I think that affects cycles more than almost anything. Like I said, inconsistencies in temperature. Really cool to see them. Like as soon as they have that one cold day, they're done. You won't get another cycle for 90 days. Yeah. I mean, and there's just some species where it turns them on. I think some just turn them off as well. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. I focus on on those little, like I said, I always start with the microclimates. Most people don't realize, like I love Kai's uh, elevated uh, hide box idea. He, mm-hmm. he introduced me to it for the first time probably a year or two ago, and I started using these uh, screwdriver boxes, these old boxes I have that I screwed in my baby cages. Well, the problem I was having was I didn't realize why they weren't being used. They were damn near 100 degrees all the time. Oh, okay. Because of where I had them aligned in the cage. Yeah. So I temp gunned it. I moved it along to the other side a little farther, much farther away from like the light and all that. And the temperature is close to like 80, and now the babies are in there almost exclusively sometimes. Nice. And I don't think we pay attention to those details. We're, yeah. we're so fixated on, okay, the basking is 120 to 140. Okay, I need this much depth on my soil. I want all these big decorations what so they have all these hides. What I think is, yeah. uh, you know, I think we lose it. people, um, don't get me wrong, the, the, the prettiness effect. And if we can mesh really functional cages with pretty cages then that's awesome you know we're not we're not knocking the look but when you go and you compare something that sure it has a you know rock wall background type deal that's faux rock sure it's amazing it's pretty you know and or you have tons of plants all this crazy you know decor on the walls right but man if your soil depth and consistency of soil temperature of soil is missed and you have all that other stuff though your cage is incomplete your cage is missing Mm -hmm. something and that's that's the one thing you know you can have a sure a crazy waterfall and you know and 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 an awesome pond with the crazy filtration system but if you're missing a nesting option or nesting soil or or that and it's not just throwing dirt down there that's a foot deep right you have to heat it you have to do stuff that basically you got to tend to that every month i i oh it's a labor of love but i turn my soil like yes boxes go down there and i actually right now i have my cuticles i mean that that under part right here like all pushed <laughs> yeah, dirt. yeah got the same. <laughs> i was gonna say those are modern nails dude that means you got success uh-huh. <laughs> I, I hope we, I hope, we, we like, have a 300 gallon so we have a 300 gallon bin 
that has the majority of like I have I have one per species basically where we dump a lot of our excess nesting materials when we're pulling the nests and we'll yeah. turn them all together as one basically rotation before we're getting ready to do the, the whole room again basically. Oh man, how are you? You got to describe this to me because I'm going to be moving. I'm already moving way too much dirt, but um. uh, the way I do it, most doctors would say, "Don't do that." Uh, I am. <laughs> I am taking a shovel. Uh-huh. I am shoveling it out into a 300 gallon pond that's behind me in the middle of my or in the middle of my room or into a separate bin to take to that pond. Filling that up, putting it into the 300 gallon pond because this isn't bad dirt. This isn't pooped in. This isn't, you right. know, it doesn't have all the bad, you know, you might say the bad stuff in it. You don't have to like make it sanitized or anything. We, the biggest issue is, though, if you don't turn it consistently, then it gets that real, those dry pockets that are almost impossible to, like, rehydrate, it seems like sometimes. Where yeah. It that real yeah. peppery texture. That's because you didn't turn it once a week. As bad as it sounds, you needed fresh water in there. You needed a little bit more temperature. Sometimes we'll heat the pond itself. So that it evaporates some of the excess moisture, right? And basically return it, re-moist it. You know, I, I don't like to. I always say, don't fix what's not broken, man. With some of these nest boxes, some of the work I've had to put into figuring out, like the Rudy Colas ones and, and Niles too, it seems like would have been just as bad if I hadn't already done it with the cocoa peat. I mean, sometimes you just want to have that stuff on hand. I'm, I'm yeah. getting ready to make my own mixes. I always tell people, I'm going to make my own darn mixes. Oh, with yeah, this peat. yeah. Uh, I have yeah. a drum. I have a drum outside my uh, outside my place. I typically throw leaf litter in there, and um, yeah. the soil already, like the soil, eco earth, peat, and sand all together. Like when you just throw it together, you can definitely see the different particles, right? But after a f- couple months of that and water and turning it, it just then all becomes like this one. It's called sandy loam or something like that. It's yeah, basically right. like. Sandy soil all together blended, but it's been conditioning though. Yeah, I love that stuff. And I, I see, I, I'm, I'm trying to replicate that that tr- stump that I talked about with Mike Stefani. Yeah, I, I, like I will put wood in this container in my nest boxes that are sitting outside of the the uh, cages. You, you are trying to keep this stuff as consistent as you can. Yeah, and the, I've noticed the more I use it, as funny as it sounds, the more success I'm having with some of the nesting. And I don't know if the females, because they have to be able to smell the other females that I use them with sometimes. Yeah. But there has to be some kind of familiarity because, man, they lay almost in the exact same spots, almost the exact, I mean, this Nile female, the exact same spot two times in a row, yeah. you know, and, and with the exact same bin, just slightly different soil, maybe had some rooty smell in it or something because I use the cocoa peat for them as well. You know, but I noticed that sometimes with those mixes, if I put them like two days before laying, like so a little too late. Yeah. You will almost scare the female away from that nest for a day or two. Oh man, I've I've changed or turned nest boxes at the wrong time. That's for sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah, me yeah. too. I, I was thinking the day before this last Nile clutch because I swore she'd already dropped it. I was like, uh-huh. I misread her bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It sucks. I was like, okay. Like I was telling Lynn the other day, I was like, you know, I had you move that cage so I can go dig, and there wasn't even any eggs. <laughs> there wasn't <laughs> even there. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, at least you didn't, at least you didn't Chris Foulier. Oh, <laughs> he dropped that nest on his on their arm. Man, that, oh, that was dude. rough. Oh, yeah. he, he paid for those eggs in blood. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or she, she did, did at least. We're she did. About, she did. You know about what? She's Lady Jade. <laughs> <laughs> the backstory to this uh, is worth her weight in gold. I was yeah. uh, I was like messaging um, 
Chris and he's like, he's like, oh, we're at the emergency room because the nest bin landed on her arm and it basically broke the, the, the forearm part. I remember all that. Oh. But, but yeah, they, they got they got they got rock monitors out of that. So she, uh, she definitely paid with yeah. her with her body. So. Yeah, you know what? So, I, I would probably give an arm to have had that success. I can't lie. I, I might have given my, I might have given a broken bone for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Well, uh, or at least maybe. my mental health. <laughs> I'm, I'm that dumb. I'm sorry. I am that dumb. I would do it. I've definitely given. Yeah, I feel like I had to have done worse in my lifetime. I, I'm trying to think of something. Right. What, what have you done to get success in this world at this point? You talk about like those big totes and stuff or those pawns. I've actually considered for uh, the the way to change dirt if I'm going to decide on using like large nest boxes or almost like a cage inside of a cage type of deal. Yeah, that's right. How to get to that, how to access that and actually putting just a reinforced like um, hook or eye bolt at the end of one thing or uh, two of them. And buying a wench, like you throw on the uh, front of a ATV or something. So I have a a wall on one side and that wench somehow where I can hook into that eye bolt and pull them down almost onto like a, uh, I don't know if it's going to be a slide or a, a rack or something um, on wheels that I can move that out with. Nick Lillis, you might want to talk to. Yeah, He has some kind of sliding system on his nest boxes if I'm not mistaken, where he can like pull them out like a drawer. Mine, my entire reptile room was built in two months when we moved here. Like I had to get it ready with all those alterations I talked about. (laughs) I am still adding framing to some of those cages. Down dirty. I am not the sliders yet. (laughs) I hear you. Man, I hear you. I hear you. Nothing slowed down this year. Everything went like, oh, we have these brand new cages. Perfect timing. Yeah. I was just trying to like starting to get into certain rhythms at the warehouse. And I even started like, I think I took one or two uh, live videos that I was sharing with people. Like, this is what I'm going to do now. This is where this is gone. And then over a month, things change. It was like, well, all that's changing. Move everything home, downsize it, you know, rig things together. And then they're just going to have to change again. So, man, I get it. <laughs> oh, my, my room's a mess all thanks to a baby uh, celebensis. It's okay. I understand. It got behind uh, my anaconda cages, my stack of anaconda cages. Uh-huh. So I had to move every one of those cages, and I was like, I am not putting all these things back because these weren't these are the only section that's not on uh, casters right now. Everything else I can move. I, you know what? I am changing that entire room so that can't happen twice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. A little like a little eight inch celebensis behind anaconda cages. That is change the world. Smashing. You're worried about everything. Yep. And of course, it's my favorite one. Yeah. Yeah, it was my favorite one of the clutch. Oh man. I will say right now everything's on wheels, but I'm still surprised where things can hide and where things can fit. But I agree. Uh, We're 90% there. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. Tangents, man. But we were talking nest boxes and um we were talking nesting and whatnot. Um so what let me ask this real quick. For what temperatures are you looking for across your cage? For, so for the Niles uh specifically. So for the Nile specifically, right now we are mimicking the Salvatore temperature outside. Right now we're in their hot time. Okay, uh, that goes through December, and then I said in January it starts to cool back off at nighttime. So right now they are seventy-eight degrees on the cool side. They are ninety degrees on the hot side. They have a hundred and thirty-degree basking area. 
um, when we are going at, uh, right now. So that's 24 seven, seven days a week. You know, that is, that is all day, every day. Once January comes, we, uh, rip out the one light, uh, it's a UV style mercury vapor bulb. We pull that out of one side of the cage. So it almost blacks out half the cage, give or take. Mm-hmm. And that will allow that cage. That room is about 68 degrees. So that'll allow, we won't get to 64 probably, but we'll go down all the way to 68 on that side. And that'll be kind of the big alteration. Like I said, I don't change my lighting too much. Uh, I have seen issues with gout from temperature issues. I have seen issues with cycles because people got too cold at night. I have seen respiratory issues uh, because you didn't count on your nighttime temperature in that room getting so cold. I mean, consistency is something I preach to all people. Yeah. And the Niles, I said, I'm shooting for right around the sweet spot is about seven months out of the year between 74 and 78 on the cool side with 90 on the hot side. And then when I rip out that one light, like I said, it'll put the one side of the cage in the mid 60s and then we'll still have that 130 basking area. And by pulling that light out, it also gets rid of some of the ambient in the room. So it won't be about Mm -hmm. about 90. It'll be closer to like mid 80s, low 80s. So I'll be yeah. getting that temperature to kind of match what I see online when I check out their weather apps. I like and it. I match, I match their rain. I soak the crap out of my floors in my basement. My wife is a saint for dealing with it. Because, man, oh, half boy. the time I am so happy. My unfi- I'm so glad they were unfinished floors because I have drains yeah. in them. I'll just spray through the cages. And I, I have to seal some of these cages still because, like I said, I threw them together. So that lets yeah. me drain. The, they, the cages drain very quickly that way, though, too. So it does allow me to constantly cycle water through the cages. And I think that has benefited, like I said, the Nile monitors, the Salvatore. Yeah. The, the people that need that high humidity. Man, so <sighs> we had to pull the Euromastics out of that room because it was too high of humidity in the, that on that yeah. floor. Basically. I, I could I could imagine that. You know, it's it's some of the issue I have is most of the stuff I keep is Australian. And so I run into opposite problems. Usually I I haven't been too successful with, I would say, your um, subtropical or tropical uh, species or Indonesian yeah. species. That's where I run into some issues and I have to pay special attention to those uh, rather than the other way around. But, man, if it's if it needs, you know, drastic temperature changes and, and dry uh, seasons, I got you covered. <laughs> Ohio allows I, I throw my heloderma right in the garage, put the garage at 55, and I'm done. I don't have to do, yeah. I don't have to do a thing more. It's not going to go over 30 for the next three months at that point. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, the, the Australian species, that man, not all of them even, but um, a lot of them, they're very uh, tolerable of what I can provide <laughs> here. So it's worked in my favor, but I get jealous of you guys that are – Showing these kind of you know uh, success with well Kai with the coli and you with uh, what you're doing it's like wow, one day when I grow up you know I'm going to be able to have two different zones for this or that and um, try to make I it all happen. Everyone just move to Ohio. Yeah, you know, cheap, you know how cheap it is to live here. Uh, no, but uh, I'm paying attention now because California is way too expensive. Yeah, me my, too, my wife's from California. My, my yeah. wife's from uh, Monterey Bay, and she can tell you the oh, difference. Man. Her apartment <laughs> costed what my house does. Yeah. yeah. Like, so that, well, so we <laughs> Monterey Bay, though, when you go there, it's a gorgeous place, bro. Gorgeous. It is. Well, well, she was right outside in Salinas there, so she wasn't even getting the prettiest part, but she was paying the expense. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, oh, I, I mean, I couldn't believe what she said. Her studio apartment cost the same as my home. 
It's I was like, yeah, I, have, I have property too, you know. It's that's we're, ridiculous. We were looking at a <laughs> we we're looking at a place in Missouri, and I was like, oh damn! As long as they got a Whole Foods, I'm there, man. <laughs> it's not I even, mean, it's I, I can tell you right now, 200, 200 grand can get you two acres and two thousand square feet here. Ooh. And that's that's uh, you know not that includes a basement. That includes a basement for your toys. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. So the money. No, that's what I rely on. I have a. I love basements because they are half the square footage of your home, usually or give or take. And oh, I have a huge open basement. Yeah, that, that's my reptile room. Don't tempt me. See, <laughs> I have. I can. I can retire in eight and a half years, and uh, then the whole world is going to become open. We're going to. Definitely look into cost of living because my paychecks or my retirement checks going to be the same. So we're going to see how that stretches. You know, and I, I you know, a good example of that, uh, talking to uh, Dan Maleri uh, over there in Thailand, it's like, yeah, there, yeah. I, don't know, <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to leave the U.S., um, especially with the new baby. But, um, yeah, the, the cost of living stretches quite a bit once you, once you leave these borders over here. So <laughs> no doubt about it. I said, you know what? That's one, that's one reason I always liked Ohio. It helps me a lot. I don't – everyone's like, oh, you have all these lizards and you have all these kids. You obviously have to make a ton. I guarantee you most of those people out make, make more than me. I, yeah. I, just have a low, I just have a low cost of living and manage it well, you might say. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> we, we live in an area that's it's still building. It's, I, I love it. You know, it's that's twice awesome. the place it was when I moved here. Yeah. No, that, that's actually really awesome. So uh, what's the but other I place think- with – and Ohio's barometric pressure changes. All these stupid storms, uh-huh. I think they do wonders for the breeding. Oh, nice. I do believe that. I, I believe that those times where you don't expect a cycle, where we talk about the food cycling doesn't occur, mm-hmm. they'll cycle for some reason. I think it's because all the storms here. I, I don't think I've done anything special at that point besides the consistent temperatures. Interesting. Yeah, very interesting. I like that. That's something to think about too. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Now you got my mind wandering. <laughs> okay, okay, it's but back to Nile. Yeah. Uh, so those are your your temperature spreads, and you said you've upped the humidity, or you're no longer given a dry season. Yeah, I'm not so, giving a traditional dry season now. Dry is now relative to how wet I keep them, basically. Okay. So now instead, so when their dry season comes, right now they get sprayed down probably four times a week. Yeah. Um, I'm probably going to go for the dry season two times a week. And, but that means that's a flooding. That is, I'm soaking their cage down. That can leave a layer of water. Yeah. I mean, it takes time to dry that out. That's why I said I like kind of having the floor drains that I have. Just kind of goes right down the floor drains. Nice. Yeah. I and like so that. that I it, it makes it, it makes it a lot more convenient to to try these the rain cycles because I noticed that with the celebensis too. That's like I always talk about species where you try to use something you learned here to kind of help you here. And I've noticed with the between the cocoa peat the humidity. I really don't think that Niles were as complicated as maybe we first thought because there's a lot of people trying them. It's mm-hmm. not lack of trying in, in captivity. We have a, Everyone claims they have a Nile project. Every Nile keeper that buys one says they have a Nile project. Right. But for some reason, they don't make it to five. And right. I think it's that reputation I talk about where they're kept too dry. They're African monitors. So it's obviously a dry desert. You know, the stereotypical idea of Africa. There, there's no way in heck that they are in rainforest areas. In their own little microclimate because it's such yeah. a large area. Yeah. And I think it was a matter of just getting those consist- consistencies. I think, um, well, I, that would I would go off a tangent again and I'll try to stay on top. Um, 
So with the Niles, also you had mentioned um, because of head size, we were talking about what are you feeding your adults? Like so what are I the common food items? Uh, fish and chicks, 99% mm-hmm. of the time. They get an occasional rodent right after laying, the females do. Uh, my male has never had a rodent in my care. Okay. Uh, I do. So during the summer and winter, I catch a lot of like perch, crappie, bluegill, you know, basically local fish. And I have six kids who love to catch them too and just pile them nice. up. Yeah. So those will make up about uh, seasonally anywhere between 20 and 60% of their diet. And then the rest usually is uh, either quail or chicks. Nice. And then if, and if they're babies, we'll give them obviously roaches and the like, like that. Different yeah. Bugs. Kaifons, grasshoppers, you know, all the best. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. All, all the goods. No, all I like that. I, I got to up my, uh, my chicks again. Cause I'm, I'm run out now, but I was buying from a guy here. And I will continue to buy from a guy here. And I noticed, you know, they, they actually did really good for me. I, I like oh. cold blooded cafe because they have me on an auto order and they've never been late. You know what? I get a thousand chicks a month from them. Okay. Quite literally five hundred every two weeks. And yeah. they haven't missed a beat. They said, if I want to alter my order a little bit, it's no big deal. They invoice me. They don't, they don't beat the crap out of you about it. I mean, right. I've had a really good experience with them so far. I changed yeah. over from Roden Pro probably about six months ago. Okay. I, I hated getting better quality. The, 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 I hated getting broken feeders from Roden Pro. That's what. Yes. Uh, the, I was going to say, I was getting bags with chicks that were like broken open that had like the, the baby guts all over the other chicks. Or like, yeah. you know, like when the pinkies and fuzzies, they're frozen just either so cold or so long that it, they just, they're brittle or they just snap in half. And yeah, that was kind of annoying. Um, yeah, I, I've seen similar things as well. And I will say, I've, I've ordered from both. And I would say that uh, the consistency, not only. They looked better, uh, but they the consistency on sizes too, yeah, uh, was better with uh, cold blooded. So, um, yeah, you hear that, that Chris? Too. Yeah, <laughs> he got his shout out. <laughs> we're trying to get so, him on now. He's just he's so busy. So we're trying to get him on. Yeah, yeah I, I can't complain right now. He's got a few fox reptiles, head sulfurs, and a few other things over there. He's they're, they're doing me some good favors as well. So. They are he, him and the whole company is just a stand-up company. Yeah, good stuff. They, yeah, I, I like having Chris on. He's funny. Um, but uh, so sticking to Niles, I'm trying so hard. I told Kai like I might have to. Eric uh, Eric Burke even um, told me at the beginning. He's like, you might want to write like an outline for the shows. And I tried it a couple times, and then it just went out the window after the first couple times I tried it. But I might go back to that just to keep myself on track. Cause man, when it comes to all these little thoughts that I've had over the years, you know, like they'll fire off like, Oh yeah, this, Oh yeah, that. And that's just me. There's you two guys too. I know it's the same thing. <laughs> yeah. My, my problem is I have, I, I want to know what's going on with everyone else's collections. I'm like, Oh, I'm playing in mine. I know what's going on in mine. I want to see all the other stuff that I'm not working with. You know, I just don't have the opportunity or the bandwidth to do right now. Yeah. Okay. We can all learn from each other. So that's really good. You know, that's what we're here for. What are you, uh, what are you cooking those eggs at right now? 84 or I'm cooking the first set at 85, the second set at 84. Okay. I don't, I don't believe there's going to be much difference, uh, but we lost a couple to molding right away in the sim of the first clutch. So nine of 12, Look like they're going to make it. They all have veins. The nine uh, have nice. veins. And then the five that we pulled the other day, we're actually running 
So I did a big test with Hatchrite. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And I had a 100% hatch rate twice now. In a row. Hatch rate, the, little, that- the, little, the little pebbles, right? Yeah, hatch rate just comes in a bag. You don't dump any water in it, nothing. You just put it in the container and you, I, I pre warm them a couple days before the females lay. And uh, instead of doing the one inch that like the bag says, I go two to uh, two and a half inches of hatch right. Yeah. And that will last you with no added water. I, I didn't add water once for, uh, of my monitor oh. clutches so far. That's what I'm cooking my Rudy's on again this time. My only Rudy clutch that made the whole way was on hatch right. Nice. Wait, what were you yeah. saying about turfus? That, that's what it's called, what? right? It's called turfus rocks, the little pebbles, the, those little red. Uh, he's I, talking I'm about pretty the sure they pebbles. call it. I'm pretty sure they call it. Per, I think they say it's like perlite and uh, water crystals, technically for hatch, right? Yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. So oh, I think okay. I think you're the other one is the Pangea hatch yeah. is the turf. Oh, okay. That's, okay, that's yeah. what I'm I'm using a lot of. Um, do not if you're buying the hatch, right? Do not buy the monster bag they sell. Um, yeah. th- so the bottom gets a lot more moist than the top. But the, the water crystals oh, drop to the bottom, and so I was having some uh, humidity issues with that. So I started. What I do is I buy. I buy 33 at a time, 33 bags, the separate bags at a time. It's not, it's how they max out their one ba- uh, box worth basically. Uh-huh. And I always tell people, yeah, it's $11 a bag, but I, I guarantee you every single clutch you're cooking is more than $11. I don't yeah. care what species you're in. I don't care if it's Toke. I don't know if they were Toke geckos from a decade ago at $5. You're still making money on that. You that's gotta, that's you gotta, a good point. You got to put the money towards it. And sometimes we have $20,000 in reptiles sometimes in those little yeah. bins. Yeah. Those little bags are consistent. I haven't had a single, I have, like I said, the Niles on it now. I have all my Rudy Colas on Hatchrite right now. And I am addicted to, it sounds funny, the SIM containers with Hatchrite in them. I love the SIM containers themselves, especially the small SIMs yeah. for Rudy Colas and Nilodicus. Um, Salvatore tend to have too big of clutches, so I like to go to the XLs for those with the water crystals. But in the smaller SIMs, man, I adore Hatchrite. Nice. I've had no humidity issues. Like I said, I, uh, this next clutch of Het Sulfurs, I have 24-24 we won, it looks like. Wow. Very uh, nice. I mean, I, I love that. And that's what I'm running the Niles on now. At 80, like I said, the new one at 84 degrees. Are you, are, you, are you adding any additional ventilation or holes? You're just running the tops as is? Yes, and sir. The, uh, no, no issues with eggs popping or anything like that? No, I, I've heard those rumors before, but I so I vent all my eggs every two weeks, regardless of moisture content on the uh, lid. Okay, uh, it, it becomes a task with three hundred eggs, but it was, <laughs> it is. You know what? It's wipe the top off some of them. My shirt will be yeah. soaked by the end of it with water from lids. You would yeah. swear I got sprayed. Yeah, and, you know. By the time I'm done in that room, you're like, "What the heck did you do?" You were. I mean, we can all. Eggs. We can all. We can all experience when you lift the top or you lift it off, and then all the water trickles. All the water. <laughs> yep. So I do that once every two weeks because I've had too many eggs, at least early on with my old incubators, dry out. Yeah. Like I said, maybe with the new one, I wouldn't have the same issue. But so far, I'm having such a low issue with hatching that I'm not going to play around with it right now. Right. Well, the last two sets of Rudy Cole's eggs, like I said, are looking fantastic. And the ones due to hatch in, uh, in January, the uh, Nile monitor eggs, all the ones that are cooking right now are doing fantastic in the new incubators. Basically, all the sensitive eggs I had got a lot less sensitive with the proper equipment. Nice. Yeah. I, yeah. So it's kind of I, magical. 
I ask about this because um, what you're using, whatnot, because most of the stuff I have, there's just no problem with. The fact that I have issues still with uh, the Kimberly Rock monitors from time to time, the eggs, and I think it has something to do with seasons or where the incubator's at and different things, changes I've made. But I feel like if those other things will hatch in all kinds of situations, if I can just keep them more near what the, the Kims need, those things are still going to hatch and I'll get better hatch rates with the Kims. So I won't mind trying those bags that you're will talking you, about. Yeah, I say, will you do me a favor and try the hatch rate, but don't go two inches, okay? For the uh-huh. Aussie stuff, go inch and a half for me. A little, okay. a little bit less moisture in that and make sure you're, you're ventilating near the end, especially like for so the last month, make sure you're opening that container every couple of days. So what I, I'm doing... Sorry, oh, what I what I was doing, I was actually switching tops. So I have, or oh. I would I was had tops that had um, you know masking tape over the holes, and then I would open up towards the end at a certain rate, you know, open up a hole or whatnot, letting them dry out that way. But I hear what you're saying; it's kind of the same idea. But um, I'm I'm a control freak, so I like to always be the one touching, you know, I'd say, and doing and doing the action. And I noticed that time out of the incubator really matters for humidity fluctuations in the containers. Mm-hmm. You really, and I think it was Cody. I want to say who said it. This said it. He likes to keep his bins out of the incubator for no longer than a minute. If I'm not, if I'm not, I might be misquoting him, but I believe it was him who said the one minute thing. And I like to follow that rule as well. I don't like to have an uh, incubation container, especially one that's like halfway there, out of yeah. my incubator for basically longer than you need it to be. Yeah, yeah. that thing wiped down. Don't don't stare at him. Don't poke him too much. Make sure there's no moisture on him, and get him back in the incubator. <laughs> That little bit of time can change the temperature a degree or two, which most people don't realize. Everyone always says, and I, I had to learn this the hard way many times. They say temperature fluctuations killed my eggs. No, odds are a temperature fluctuation caused your humidity to either spike or drop. Usually spike is what kills them. Yeah. And then they molded over and died. I had that happen to an entire Rudy Colas clutch when our seasons were changing here. Like you were talking about around April. Yeah. I didn't start venting it every couple of days. I was still doing my once every two weeks. And I had a couple of sets of eggs that all went bad. I couldn't believe it. I was like, why is just the Rudy's and only one other egg go bad? And as soon as I started doing this venting thing, I stopped having any of these issues every couple of days with it. And I really do think that it's a a matter of minutes, as funny as it sounds. It's that one minute didn't fluctuate the temperatures too much. It made sure all the fresh air got in so there wasn't a big humidity spike. You're adjusting then for that outside temperature that it changed in the room. You know, you're basically re-upping it, you might say. You're refreshing yeah. a little bit. Yeah. Especially if you notice that one day you have a really big temperature change in your area. Like, say it goes from 80 to one day, like 50 the next. Go vent your eggs. Yeah. that's I do it every time I have a major change like that. I was going to um, – when I <laughs> – I think I even put it on one of the live videos right before I decided to leave the warehouse uh, set up. I was going to make them. I have a middle cage in these walk-in cages. I was just going to make it an incubator so it could actually close the door behind me and then go into tubs on like those little, you know, the gardening or baker racks, those yeah. little metal racks and set things on there. So I could be inside um, so I can control the humidity better. But I think in the new setup, I have, I have great incubators right now, but for similar reasons, uh, when I get down down the road, um, actually having another incubation room, uh, maybe even like a to, I get nerded out on some of this stuff, but like a double door type of thing to just to control that humidity fluctuation, even opening the door so I could keep that 
completely And that was my big issue with the huge incubators. So I helped Jason actually make this incubator, design it from custom glass, glass terrariums. Uh-huh. Well, originally, it didn't have enough heat tape on the inside, enough, enough of the heating element in there. And so it was struggling to get back to the 84 every time you open the, the, this giant incubator. You know, yeah. said, it's, five, it's almost it's five feet tall. This is a big this is a big thing to have air. So when it loses, so when it loses to gain back is a little tough, huh? Yeah, and that, well, and when your heat tape is fighting it, that's causing those humidity spikes because the temperature spiking underneath your uh, incubation containers. Yeah, that's causing humidity to rise. Yeah, yeah. So what we did was we went with instead of having I think it was like six feet or something like that, we went with ten or twelve feet of heat tape. It goes all the way around the bottom, all the way to the tops. Okay. So yeah. the top both sides. So it's even distribution basically on every level besides the very bottom rack, which only has a fluctuation of a degree and a half. It's 85 and a half. That's where my Nile eggs are on the one okay. set. I have them at the 85 and a half spot, and the rest of the incubator is right at 84 to 84.8. Very nice. And that's where the rest of my eggs are basically at that point. Okay. Yeah, I, I love nerding out on these things. And it, I think – I've talked with Kai before. A good topic. About, very good topic. That that yeah. right there, or, the incubating and and making it work for your um, conditions, right? Whatever the home, right. the room, the weather outside, the pressure, how much moisture is in there, how heat's distributed in there. Yeah, it's a. Uh, it's not, it, like people I've think thought it's just a. a a plug-in, you know, it's people think it's just a plug-in, no, no. a little water dish at the bottom. You put the eggs in, and it's done. You know, it's a, right. you know, it's a little bit. It's a little bit more and than that. So that was the most. That was the most damning thing for me. I think my first ever clutch was Sambalwa Biz. We talked about. Yeah, I had a hundred percent hatch rate my first try, and basically a chicken incubator. Yeah. I swore I knew it. I swore I knew it all. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, man, I was going to do everything that exact way, and it was always going to work. And I was so wrong. And that's how, I yeah. mean, honest to God, that's how all of us have started in the game, right? It's just a little hoverbader, man. You know, I remember right. had to breathe. Oh yeah, that little, little styrofoam hoverbader, and you yeah. twist it for temperature, and you have to wash the therm- thermometer on the inside. Man, that's when I had the world's first Zimbabwe bibs in. Uh, <laughs> as a, as a kid, the, the I was that, like reptiles out of that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I said I hatched hundreds of beardies when I was 16 out of those things. Yeah, beardies, yeah. geckos, corns, kings. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The bread and well, butter. See, when I I hatched like some of the my first Ackies, and I was like, oh, I, I'm nailing this. And then the Tristus popped out. Oh, I got this. The Kimberly's 100% hatch rate for the first clutch. Oh, this is awesome. And then I started changing some things around, doing this or that. And I, oh, yeah. uh, I actually let a buddy borrow that incubator. Man, I, w- I it's way too small for what I'm doing now, but yeah. man, I wish I had that incubator back. That would be the Kimberly incubator. <laughs> that thing must have been much tighter than you gave it credit for. Well, it was, I had some, it was uh, nice. I had some dilemma too with the current one where I had a just a homemade incubator, right? Just a fridge, a little mini uh-huh. pool or whatever, right? And once I I had to change that because the front panel of the glass cracked. So, I'm okay. like, all right, you know, but then I ended up getting this thing because I was like, all right, maybe, you know, we're, it was like Pomona or Anaheim, one of those shows. And the, these guys were there. And I was like, man, this is an awesome incubator. It would probably, that's what I thought. It would make my life easier. But that's actually the opposite. It's completely. <laughs> yeah. 
you know, the, figuring out. Well, it's the insulation that's in the wine cooler or whatever. It's obviously right. It's it's meant to keep things cold, right? So it's not going to be right uh, allowed to change temperatures too much. But I think the thin walls of this incubator, even if it's doubled, it's uh, it's not enough. Yeah, it's not enough. So. Right. Okay. Well, I'll hit on that real quick for. We don't see this a lot, guys, for like snakes uh, that might hatch out in 60 no, days or less. Yeah. yeah. Um, but PVC, it's it's not that great of a material for certain things, okay? Uh, yes, you can make incubators out of it. Yes, you could do things to make it a lot better. But like Kai was saying, uh, it doesn't beat, you know, a straight inch of insulation or more in between yeah. – you know, other even PVC again. If you if you sandwich an inch insulation insulation between two PVC panels, then you're in a much better situation. Or another type of plastic, or wood that's finished, or um, so many different options. Um, yeah, Rob Faust has but, a wooden a wooden incubator. It's awesome, and uh, I never thought about that. You know, yeah. he can yeah. that man though. Don't don't model after him. He can build anything way better than we can. Yeah, yeah. That man can build us circles around us, dude. This wooden incubator looked like my thing. I was like, I'd rather have the wooden incubator. I got my incubators. They're built uh, wood on the outside, and then they have, like, I think it's inch and a half. It might even be two inches of insulation, and then um, finished on the the inside and basically FRP with the fans put in there. I didn't build them. I got in a very lucky situation where uh, a buddy of mine – so I'll do it without name dropping, but um, hatches a lot, a lot of snakes. And uh, he needed a certain Corvette part that was near me. And I just happened to walk myself into an awesome situation where he was building a, a um, incubation room as well. So he didn't need these two things anymore. Oh, wow. And uh, yeah, so it, it really helped. They're about, I think they're four foot by three foot by two foot deep or something. So there's two of them. Um so I, I really lucked out, but I've gotten to see how different incubators, uh, different locations, temperature spikes, all that can really uh, play a difference on, on your hatch rates of certain things and the different species too. It's amazing. Yeah. Some species, they don't blink an eye. Other species, you change a little bit and they're done. <laughs> they're done. You know, and, uh, my existence I, 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 uh, <laughs> with, with the current weather change too, like summer, I don't have an issue, you know, obviously it's fine. They, the temperatures are, it's hot, but it's more consistent. But right now when it's hot, cold, hot, cold, or then it'll also be ending up cold, you know, the incubator basically is a whole different thing now. So when I think about it in my brain and how I'm trying to do timing, sometimes I try not to have eggs go from summer and then it just changes to winter, you know, like where it, the, the, the temperatures start to change so much because we're in California. And even though I might say that it's gone colder, the days are still 85 and sometimes even 90 degrees, you know. And so it's crazy, man. But uh, yeah, it was like 85, 87 here the other day and, and, and within November, too. And so, you know, it's just like, OK, but, the, the you know, it's cold at nighttime. And so what I don't want to have is eggs go from that hot weather and then transition into cold. I just, I think it happens has to do with maybe some of the is- issues with kinks or stuff like that. I've had in the press. Um, mm-hmm. I've had 
kinks happen on Definitely. two hatchlings. And basically, if I go back, <clears throat> they hatched in winter. Um, hmm. So, yeah, I'm not, I don't know. And then the stuff that hatched just recently and the stuff that's hatched before winter, summertime, um, like they were bred in winter, had eggs, but hatched in the summer, you know? Right. And, yeah. Um, yeah. Th- that that seems to be working a little bit better for for temperature changes and things like that for me. So. Odds are that's the difference as well. I, I I have one room that is strictly for incubation. Oh, it's nice. My office, you know. So it's, it's a closed room. It gets a little bit warmer than any other room in the house if you just close yeah. the door because there's no heater in there. So that stability, I think, is a plays a big role. And I have the opposite problem with Kai. Summer sucks. Yeah. My rooms are always at their coldest because all my stuff's in the basement. That's when I ha- that r- room has the opposite problem where it can become too cold. So then yeah. I have to open windows in that room. I much prefer wintertime because my, my temperatures are much more stable. Oh, uh, see, where I'm at now, it's actually good. I'm, I have a basement here, which is kind of rare out in California, but it actually stays pretty consistent um, throughout the year within, I would say – five degrees because of the other things that are that are down there now um so it i think it's going to work out a lot better for me um for incubation purposes but man if i were to build one now i mean strictly talking about like long-term incubation type of eggs monitor eggs and whatnot it would be a large enough box to handle what i need but good amount of insulation we like we talked about yes some fans in there to move just circulate air around but um, um, I'd love to be able to control those fans a little more as well. So really dial them down so it's just barely moving air. For me, that would work uh, really well instead of just blasting air at a certain rate. Um, but also like a double door system. So you have your regular insulated door that you can close. But once you open that, you actually have a secondary door that's just like a glass panel or a plexiglass panel because it would actually be better on the temps. So you can see inside your incubator. As long as you're using like the sim container boxes, you could see inside. Um, but you don't have to open up that secondary door if you don't need to yet. And then, like you were saying, you know those uh, uh, sandblast cabinets that have the gloves built in? Yeah. <laughs> I would, or like on some alien movie where they're trying to manipulate whatever's in there. That's what I would have. I'd be sticking my hands in these big rubber gloves and opening two, boxes. I was going to say, just two Kai Fawn's little modification that he has with those, the grasshoppers, just yes. with a little latex. Exactly. Exactly. Do something like that. Just enough for your hands to get in there and mess around. Open the lids off and close the thing. That'd be some. That'd be some crazy uh, Jurassic Park stuff. It would, right? (laughs) Large monitors. Just, uh, just might as well just go steal a baby incubator. The ones in the hospital (laughs) in the ICU. Yeah. Don't tempt me. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Or for for even if you can't do that for people that are um, if you don't ha- if you only have a couple species let's say there's snake species you don't have to really worry about this but say you're a keeper who's doing monitors and you have um, I don't know throw something out there you're doing peach throats and you get eggs and it's the only thing you're working with and you want to you know um, not have this issue you got an incubator set up if you put it in a room put it go buy like a grow tent or something and put it around it maybe that would help these are just different ideas off the top of my head um because you walk into that sorry go ahead 
No, go okay, for it. So you know, uh, John A. told me he always the, the advice he always gave me was if you can't get it off the ground, carpeting. Mm-hmm. Find the warmest room in your house if you're in a cold area like we are because I'm in Ohio and he's in New York. Um, if you're in a hot spot, obviously you pick the cool a uh, cooler room that's more moderate. The idea is you want a consistent temperature room that we don't have like the fluctuations Kai's talking about and I was talking about before. You, you got to try to find if you can. Sometimes you don't have that opportunity. Right. But the most consistent room you can, get it off of floor temps. Do not press it against a wall. Yeah. Um, most people don't think about that sort of thing. Um, It'll absorb the temperatures coming from the ground and the draft that goes through the wall. It's crazy right. how yeah, that's what I say. I keep, I keep, I keep them off. Yeah, yeah. So it's crazy. Even the vents in that room. Yeah, where your air vents are. You don't want an air vent blowing directly onto the back of that incubator. So if you can move exactly. it from, yeah. Um, Man, I'm yeah. That that was pretty. That was a pretty problems. good good, good go on uh, good go on incubators, man. Because yeah, um, no kidding. Really uh, unfortunately, Rudy Colas, my biggest damning thing was incubation. I have learned a lot about incubators in the last year. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I learned this thing with Kimberly's. Yeah, I'm still learning. Good lord, I have a bag um, full of dead but- Kimberly's to show for. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, I saved I saved a lot of those as uh, basically baby python food when I had stubborn feeders. Yeah, those uh, those dead baby monitors went down pretty well. So, um, so we had talked about Nile monitors. I think you gave us the 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 real nice overview of what you got going on with them. Uh, temps wise, what you're feeding them, kind of success you've had, and incubation. What about um, you? You kind of touched on. What do you allow them for, I guess, water? If you're treating them like a water monitor, what are you putting in the inside the cage with them? So my waters vary uh, by cage and by uh, what, what part of the laying cycle they're in, as funny as that sounds. Um, mm-hmm. So when I'm doing my pairings, typically I will be giving them a much larger water feature, like those big painter's tubs, the big black painter's yeah. tubs. They're like four feet long. Uh, my Niles will get – the adults will get that while I'm pairing them together. But when the female is getting ready to lay, I actually only give – I do this with Salvatore and most other species. I give her about a quarter size of the water bowl that is changed two or three times a day because, again, it's a smaller water bowl. They get dirty easier uh, to avoid them laying accidentally in the water bowls. Mm -hmm. I've seen a lot of times where – especially when you're on a species you're trying to learn. Say your nesting is just a little bit off, a little dry or a little wet. The first place the monitors tend to go is a warm water bowl. Yeah. You will find a lot of dumped eggs in a warm water bowl. So I try to exclude that option. Don't be laying in there close to laying. Don't be getting any bad ideas. You know, it's there for drinking. It's there for you can get a soak if you'd like, but you're not going to be having as much space basically to move around. Yeah. And as soon as she lays her eggs, she gets her big feature back. Because as soon as I remove the nest, the nest is pulled for the water feature. Very nice. Oh, and you know, another thing you touched on was uh, removing the mail. So with this kind of setup, you have a place to put the mail. When you oh, I have, I have empty cage syndrome to the extreme. When you have a large breeding collection, I have probably four or five empty cages at any given time. Um, I used to be real excited with one empty cage. And right. then I had four females cycle at the exact same time. And I didn't know where to put these five foot males at the time. I had a bunch of Salvatore that were large. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, this is great. Now I got to build these cages on the fly and try to make something work. 
So, like I said, now I have a few empty cages at all times. Yeah, right? I got a couple empty cages. No, a lot of times you'll see a lot of my cages are 8 by 8 builds. The new style, you see those big white cages I have now? Mm-hmm. So they're 8 by 8s that have a uh, wall in between them with a opening divider or door. Um, and that's usually how I inter- reintroduce them. So it also gives them a little more space. Very nice. That's how 90, 90% of my new setups are. The Niles are the only ones not set up like that yet. Uh, the females on the end of a, I have it's a 12 by eight by six. They're all set up in right now. It's set up an eight by four by six, eight by four by six, eight by four by six. Uh-huh. And she's the end cage and the male's cage is separated from hers. So I have to actually lift him into the cage, which is really fun. <laughs> Yay. He, luckily, he's, yeah, well, luckily he's starting to get that feeding response that I love so much. Cause I can lead him right into a bin and then right yeah. in the female's cage. Yeah. And that's transfer- a powerful tool. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I, I love bins. And one thing that people don't give enough credit to, and I learned in large monitors, which Niles apply to for sure, you should have a fishing net in your collection. <laughs> this is going to sound funny. Bill, Bill Albright told me this, and he justified it in a way I had never thought about. Because the inner reptile lover, you might say to me, it's like, oh, that, that's so crude. That's rough. That's. Would you rather them attribute your hands to that negative interaction or a tool? Mm-hmm. And if you're quick enough about it, what is really damage, more damaging? The long process of trying to grab, 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 grab this thing and stressing it out or a quick swipe and dump, basically, you might say, into a cage? Yeah. I like that I mean, a lot, actually. I started doing that with Salvadori when we had our pair here, and that was a lifesaver more than once for medical procedures – I mean, I would put that on a care sheet for large monitors, a musky net. Yeah. I think I'm going to get one for the, for the blue tails when, uh, I I would genuinely get a size for that because they save so much of the dangerous part of the interaction. It's in a net. So now you can either, if you have to pin the animal for veterinary services, you can, if you have to remove a male because you were like, I've been late before, you got to get that thing out right now and you need the quickest, least stressful thing you can do. Well, you running around a cage isn't going to do any favors. Right. Um, all right. We're, we're at the, about the hour and 45 minute mark. So, and we've covered a good amount. Uh, anything else with Niles that you think you should touch on to kind of complete uh, what's gone into this? Humidity. Humidity. Yeah. Uh, if you had to ask what is killing 90% of Niles, I think it's humidity. I, do, I believe that I always say, keep them, I always say, keep them like a water monitor. I should probably preface that comment. Keep them how I would keep a water monitor. I'm sorry. The methods that are used for water monitors and fish tanks, I don't believe are adequate enough. I believe the humidity requirements are higher. I genuinely keep mine in damn near sealed PVC cages. That the only thing giving them those air gap, those air drafts are my gaps in building. Yeah. They're not, they are not big cut holes meant to dry out the cage. Yeah. If you're going to have to do vents, keep them low. Yeah. Don't put the vents up high. That'll help you with that humidity. I like it. I think that is the key. I think that's the biggest thing that we're doing wrong with Niles. Yeah. And I think so. Well, to touch on the, when you don't have the ventilation and you have touched on kind of the mixture of soil you're also using, because I think that plays a lot into when you have to keep something wet or you, you when you're going to keep something more more wet, more yeah. humid, having the right 
mix in there actually plays a big role on some of your your troubles down the road too. I agree, and that's why I said I I, I never really I decided not to seal the bottom of those cages after the fact. Mm-hmm. They were working like drains so nicely that with like the the cypress or the cocoa peat and all that, that's very airy substance. That that's it's very loose. It, it allows moisture to go through very easily. That gets rid of stagnation. That gets rid of bacterial overgrowth. That gets rid of fungus. I mean, you, you wonder what, you know, how is it so humid? Uh, Asher came in the one day. He goes, "How is it so humid? Are you sure you don't need to like to cool it down a little bit in there? Like, how's there no <laughs> mold? First of all, there's no mold because my cages have gaps and they allow airflow. Yeah. But they, they, they said the substrate it all plays a role, and we start focusing on those basic things before you start worrying about all the cork tubes, all the hides. Make sure every corner of that cage is the right temperature humidity. When you put a hide box in there, that can alter the temperature and humidity of that section of cage. Mm-hmm. Temp, temp on that. Find out what it changed it to. Right. Very small details, I think, would change so many things. So many so many on, uh, random deaths, we might say. Failure to thrive. Right. You know, you, you brought that up just so for the smaller nest boxes, it was as simple as instead of putting the nest box on the cool, I'd say towards the middle, towards the cool end. Um, to put it in that mid 80 degree range. And yeah. then I would temp gun behind that and it'd be this cold spot, this unusable spot back there. And plus if the, the animal were to dig down into the bottom of the nest box on that side, I'm only using half my nest box. Basically it's only usable yeah. to the animals. It was as simple as putting um, two bricks underneath the nest box to cause the ambience around it to, to change. I mean, just, for, for everybody out there, play around with your setups. If if you're not seeing something that you like, you know, doing something as simple as like as that can change it. The small nest box thing, uh, I actually did something with the Rudy Cola thing, very similar. We were finding some of the corners were getting into that 60s range. I told you they don't they don't do well with that. Mm-hmm. We changed our nest boxes from heat pads to rip to rip to cable, uh-huh. so that the heating element goes all the way across that back section when we're doubling them up in the nest area which heated that back corner all of a sudden that was a cool spot originally. Okay. So are you doing, are you doing like double nest box? Double like binning, yeah. Double double binning. Okay. Yeah. 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 And the the I, one really coolest cage, I know someone's going to say, Oh, your one doesn't, I'm sorry. I cracked the outer layer one. I got to change it. <laughs> yeah. I, I like, um, I like that Repta cable actually a lot. I've had to use it in the vision racks for some of yeah. the snakes and everything, but I actually like that product a lot, especially cause you can buy 150 feet of this stuff. And, more, or is, more it, is it 150 like, feet? They, they go all kinds of ranges. They go 20, 40, yeah. 100 something. Yeah. I, I like them a lot because even though they say they're not waterproof, in my experience, they've been a lot more waterproof than the heat pads or similar products. Right. I, I, don't, I don't. I know they're not meant to be submerged in any way. I'm not saying to do that, but I've noticed a lot less burning, a lot less melting, a lot less odd and odd things basically with that. Yeah, yeah. I find it very consistent across the board for for right. a lot of things. So, um, all right. So this last little bit we got left, uh, Kai. You kind of touched on your your recent success too. I wanted you to talk a little bit about that. What's what happened in your life here? Uh, oh, I hatched out a coli the other day. <laughs> oh, oh, just Every that. Night. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Is that all? <laughs> yeah, that's that's it, man. You know, at the end of the year, twice in a twice in a year is is I'd say good for me. So uh, I'm gonna be selling my coli now because I'm done. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> so, 
I mean, congratulations. Uh, you know, I kind of have gone to that point though. It's like, damn, this is, this is a whole lot going on right now with uh, yeah, with all the lizards pairing, and I have quite a few animals. I mean, even I think ten coli, something like that, and I just. Uh, just my eyes are closed. I'm covering my eyes, but I just bought another one too. So, <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I don't know. So I was just like, you know, I was supposed to buy a car, but Lynn's dad actually gave me a car. Or is yeah. And oh, so nice. I'm like, all right. I guess I got That's a really little cool. play money. So you got coli money. Yeah, uh, I, I got, got lizard funds. A car. Yeah. Yeah, the guy, the guys, uh, uh, the guys willing to work with me, so I, I'm good with it. It's not anything crazy. I just, you know, takes care of me with pay, or I take care of him with payments, and and I get what I get. And yeah, man, I, I mean, I just the fact that for years there were no imports, you know, there are what came yeah. in for, with Michael, and then he had those raised those up to basically figure out what he's gonna do with them. Um, and then obviously they were spread out between me and Aubrey. And then the other couple that may, you know, maybe maybe around in the states. Um, but other than that, man, the get them in and all that stuff like that. Recently, within the last six months, eight months, I basically jumped on every opportunity. So just to get a little, yeah. you know, every import was, and I think there's been a, a few. Um, I'd say like three or four that I that I'm aware of. And so everyone I just picked and kind of, I mean, I kind of get to cherry pick, I guess. You know, I think I get to cherry pick after the cherry picker. There you go. You know, <laughs> uh, yeah. and, uh, and it's I'm, hard to work up that ladder. I'm okay yeah. with that. I'm okay because I don't really want fresh imports. Don't get me wrong. I bring them in, but I'm not going to put them in the room with all my other established things that I already cherished. And so I just yeah. did it. You know, I don't want to be dumb. And, you know, maybe they caught something on import or already had something or something is festering. Um, yeah, it's a scare. I already had a scare with the first ones. And so, you know, it's just like, all right, everything's good. Those whatever was whatever happened was fixed. And I was kind of uh, stressing there for a minute because you don't know what it is, you know. Um, yeah, and uh, I had another gentleman who's actually a zookeeper. He messaged me about the same thing and asked me what I did with it. And I just, uh, me and the vet, just basically hit him with antibiotics. And I guess it must have been something internally bacterial or something like that for the antibiotics. To knock it out. Yeah, to fix it. Um, next time, if you have that happen, uh, there were a few cases that were very similar like that where the reptiles were not coughing at all. But it was diagnosed as bacterial pneumonia. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. And so there, and there were a few cases of that in Salvatore a few years ago. And I, I attributed it to free roaming. I always said it seemed like it was the most free roaming monitors that seemed healthy and then they just crashed. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's tough. I, I, I try not to overdo it. But yeah, man, I, I, uh, I made coli, bought a coli, and so a little, you know, there's a good amount of consistency in what I'm kind of doing. Uh, don't get me wrong. I, I've been like, I want collar lizards. I want chuck wallas and, and where I live and keeping oh, yeah. them outdoors, keeping them outdoors is perfect. You know, I want, I, I like, I like underrated lizards a whole ton. So, um, but um, yeah, I try to keep it consistent with what I'm doing and yeah, man, I, I don't know what's in for next year. I know I do have a couple pairs that are 
ready, some that are growing into age, and then some that I don't even know when they'll go. The 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 wireite yeah. are are still a mystery to me. Um, they actually haven't grown at all in the year that I've had them. They may have grown an inch or two, but nothing significant like what a year would typically show in a monitor, right? Uh huh. So, yeah, I think I think how big are they like total? Uh, maybe eighteen inches, twenty inches max. Oh. Yeah, they're small. Are they supposed to get bigger? No, they're supposed to stay tiny. So, um, I don't know when they'll mature. You know, and. With my right. experience, most of my mangrove stuff matures after two to three years is when they start to lay. While while in comparison, like an Aki or an Argus monitor, they can go as early as 10 months, something like that, you know? Right. Um, so the, the, the Indicus stuff does take a while. I do think, although I'm, I'm already working with their temperatures now, basically going from a little bit of food to a lot of food and then not much humidity to a lot of humidity to see if that triggers anything. Um, but uh, I think it's still young. And so I, I don't really know what's going on. I've seen them mount each other a couple times, but I don't, you know. And, uh, yeah, I'm just going to wait. They have access to a nest? Yeah, they have access to a nest bin. Yeah. <laughs> And but yeah, then again, you know, I I still Sometimes think they're a little small. Right, right. Yeah, they have a nest bin with a heat pad on the side. Um and uh you know what sucks is that they stay in there like it's a hide though. They don't treat it like a nest bin. And that's yeah. that's annoying, you know. And then the thing is that they only come out for about an hour or two a day and then disappear. So yeah. as far as uh, me getting getting to do much with them it's hard they're you know they're imports they're an indicus for one so they're very shy and all that other stuff and you know i can see them in the reflection when i walk into the room of another glass cage you know that's how that's how (laughs) that's that reminds me of the the timor monitors too that's uh it's like yeah i'll look at another cage to see if one's out wow (laughs) yeah i'll look at another cage to see that reflection of those lizards in that cage that i'm trying to see yeah 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 i wonder i wonder about overall size one it's a newer species right um yeah but it kind of like with my little foray into the Timorantsa mm-hmm. species, and looking around at some of the pictures that were out there, some of the they're animals about the I got size my hands of the timber. onto. Yeah, they're about the size yeah, of the So I have that one that's super gold. Its tongue's different than any of the other ones I have. It's just it's just blind. Um, but I remember reaching out to you a few years ago when I got it, and I was like, I don't even know if this thing's a, a Timorantsis. I don't know what the heck this is. Yeah. And um, but I, I don't know if I'll ever know. But um, it just, it so that's why I was asking: Are they are they full grown at where they're at? Are they just going to stay kind of no? Small I, I think they're going to grow some more. Yeah, I definitely think they're going to grow some more. And I, and I just don't think they're. It's more of like the in five years they'll probably still only be like twenty four inches. You know? Um, yeah, I'm okay with that. I just want to get an idea on when the, the sexual maturity really starts to kick in and. And, and all that stuff. Right? So, yeah. Huh. That's yeah. Yeah. yeah this, no, go ahead. This Timor I'm talking about, he's, he was, he has a nub tail when I got him. He had a nub tail, but I think overall length, I mean, he's, he's bigger than, he's about the size of what I would say like my large, um, Tristis are, uh, overall proportions. So, 
He's kind of, yeah, he's 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 really big. So I'm wondering if he's actually something else, but who knows? It sounds a lot like one that uh, Jonathan Hoflich had for a few years. He had a beautiful Timor. It was golden patterned. Uh huh. Thing was like probably 20 inches long, almost. It, it was might amazing. be. Leopard timbers are one of my favorites to look at. Very gorgeous. Oh, they're cool. Yeah. yeah. Those those specifically are, are real cool. I think um I think they had a chance to come in from Europe or wherever that guy's at a few years back. So I, I don't know if that's still open. I mean it's an endo monitor, so I would think it might be possible, but there's been yeah. a lot of changes over there in the government and whatnot, so who knows for yeah. sure. But um but I'll send you a, after this, Rob. I'll send you just a picture. I'll go over there and grab them, take a picture, and tell me what you think. Because yeah, I was gonna say I'll try to find that picture because I, I have some from John when we were his place here a few years back. I'll try to find a picture of it. Okay, I'd love to know what he is. He's just blind as a bat, so he needs like he's my special needs monitor. I have to basically put the food right in front of him, and it can't be like it can't swing on a tong too well. You have to grab it with a tong where it can be like grabbed by Grab. it because he'll just <laughs> knock it from side to side like he's boxing with it and uh that poor guy but um he'll he'll live out the rest of his years here he's an old guy um all right well, let's touch on there's some other things i noticed going on in the monitor world you guys probably know more than i do but i saw someone got a uh uh clutch of blue tail monitor eggs which oh yeah oh, that's, that's awesome. uh brian daruka uh he also breeds melanus or has bred okay melanus. Yeah, so he's uh, he's out there. I don't think he's like on social media a lot, a lot. I mean, he might be there every day, but I don't think he's like posting all the time. But he he does yeah. great work. He does great work, man. Yeah, yeah. He's um, done a few other things. Now that I now that I hear the name, the the under the post I saw whatever maybe he it's did melanist name too. Yeah, yeah. He did melanist. Uh, I don't know what other indicus stuff, but you know. If, they're, it's like, uh, like like they kind of say they're kind of the very similar animals, right? Within within very similar realms of the habitat and where they're from in the world and temperatures and stuff. That's like awesome. That. So, yeah. yeah and is there any other things going on out there that? Um, um, uh, Linnea oh, just. Had that's what I'm thinking. Go ahead. Oh no! Go ahead, Nicole. You go. Ahead. I, I just did. someone got some uh, um, tree monitor eggs. Um, oh, part of the yellow spotted ones. The but they're not. So what are they called? What's the um, yeah, the golden, yeah, bohemai, yeah, 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 that's that's the one, bohemai or whatever. Yeah, it looks like bohemi or something. Yeah, bohemai. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 awesome, right? And uh, he got those in, I think he got those from Joe, um, I don't know, several months ago, and Cody's been helping him. Uh, with a lot of you know what he's got going on and things like that and and whatever else he he grasps from you know just other keepers and stuff but he has those yeah. I think he's got some uh, blue tree eggs and some other stuff but bet yeah he's he's on the road to cranking out some pretty cool stuff. This is so um, awesome! What yeah, a time man. to be alive in monitors, huh? <laughs> uh, we're the best year. It's, it's a problem when you're an addict. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, you know, uh, as far as all of us and how we work together and what I used to see how people work together, you know, now it's like, wow, you can see the results of it, you know? Um, right. And it, it's like, okay, like I, I actually thought about this the other day and I don't mean to go more into the recording time, but 
we probably don't even need to import water monitors anymore unless it's new bloodline, yeah. you know, wow. right? We just make so many, right? Um, just things like that. Like, it's not to say that it's just to shut it off, but we produce so many that, I don't know, it's just there's no need to really import because then that'll actually mess up with the actual captive bread sales, you know? Yeah. Uh, the amount of Kimberly's... I, I think one every five years. The, you know, sorry, that again? I think one import every five years. Is what I always said. I think should happen. That would allow. I mean, all species. I think mm-hmm. that would force breeding. As Kai said, new bloodlines. We we do not need a thousand more Salvatore. We don't need a thousand more Niles. We have a ton of blood here. Yeah. Right now, I mean, unused blood. You might say. Yeah, but we. So that's something I've been passionate yeah. about for a while. That's why I keep grabbing the imports. They shouldn't <laughs> be pets. They should not be pets. No. I agree 100% with that. And so the monitor hobby, I'd say, has just grown so significantly well. And there's just achievements left and right. There's a little, a few more species to really knock down. Um, But other than that, you know, even things that are like, I don't know, Grisius or, or people doing savannas and things like that. So it's Mm -hmm. just, uh, just a lot of good. A lot of good growth, I'd say. Yeah. I want to know how we're going to get these these uh, frugivore lizard uh, monitors over. I know Tim Healy has. A, <laughs> I know Tim, Tim Healy has a couple of them. Yeah. Why can't, why can't we get a couple of these things? I can't wait either. Um, Gray's monitors are still I need, one of my I need, absolute favorite. I, I yeah. need some. Yeah, they yep. they are beautiful, beautiful animals, and uh, I mean, just. One day, hopefully. One day, hopefully. We need some things to happen um, over mm-hmm. there and, and with those governments and whatnot. But, uh, but I do – I hope they get into the right hands of people. And uh, – uh, should I even say that? Sometimes, well, I'll say it. Um, I, so for some of these animals, I'd rather them go into certain private keepers, private uh, – even hobbyists, if you want to call them that, rather than some of the zoos. I'm, yeah, I agree yeah, entirely. Zoos have had them. Zoos have there's them. no, there's no uh, red team. I looked know. into buying. I looked into getting my license for a zoo. Just so you know, it's not everything. It's it's been up for. They control everything you breed. They tell yeah. you what you can do, what you can't do, what you can touch, what you have, to, you have to throw you have away. You have to ask to turn a light bulb. That's that's how. Yeah. yeah, that's how it is. You have to ask to change a light bulb, and so you know it, it just uh, it, cr- it puts a, cr- a damper on your own free spirit thinking type, you know, where you get to just act on your own. Um, right. So, yeah, it's, yeah, don't get me wrong. I know well, all those resources they have available. What's right? that? All the resources available to these, to, to these facilities and you limit what they can do. Kind of like I was just saying, whether, whether they're being creative and trying a species that no one else has access to. People can't tell me that the fact that we have more Cayman rock iguanas and different kind of rock iguanas in Florida than we do on their natural uh, territory isn't a good thing. I find that to be a great thing. Right. I mean, I I genuinely believe that that is a great thing and that we could do the same thing with dozens of monitor species Mm -hmm. and other reptiles. But I mean, especially if the zoos actually got on board, you might say, and were allowed to just kind of do it. I think we would just see. I think it's a giant excuse. Yeah. Create, create a problem that only you can solve. 
And don't, don't get me wrong. Um, yeah. I think it's zoos not working with private keepers, but zoo, there are a lot of, a handful of really good zoo keepers that are also yes. keepers. And then they contribute. Yes. You know, they apply. They, they Essentially, it's not like a, a a wall of BS that, you know, they can't show or tell you. You know what I mean? They they work with you. I mean, right. there's some limits, but it's like, you know, we work with uh, with Benjamin. And he's a, he's a zookeeper. And he also kind of does things professionally and, you know, things like that. So it's like uh, for us to work together, right? You know, um, he just dug up his first first infertile clutch of Dorianus eggs himself. So, um, you know, nice. just things like that go forward towards, start, yeah. towards the hobby in the right direction, and then you know, I'll, and of course, a yeah. lot of guys are trying. A lot of guys are trying to get that crown of being the first to hatch Dorianus. And um, man, it's uh, I, oh, I, 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 I'm on that to be over now. Yeah, yeah that's please it. be first. Please be second. I have some, but if someone else out there would kindly bring them to the Ooh. hobby in regular numbers, you have my ego has has no problem with that or or any other animal out there. Do it so we have them. Um, you know what, Dorianus is, Dorianus is is just too much beast for me. Just too much. Yeah, beast. it's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot. I'll be honest. Now that I've, I'm hoping this guy has uh, repeated success and maybe cranks a couple out, and then I might, um, you know, if someone's looking for more and they're having success, I might go that route. I, it, if sand monitors were the largest lizard I have, I'd probably still be pretty dang happy for the time being, for the for the foreseeable future. So uh, when yeah. you get into like what you're working with, Rob, um, I mean. A seven foot animal is oh, but you he has ten of those. Going, <laughs> but going from a, a three foot to a seven foot, you know, is an incredible yeah. amount. Um, I mean, the it doesn't scale up in your head like it should, like it does in reality, you know. When you <laughs> and you swear you know a seven foot lizard when you see one until you really see a seven foot lizard. You know, and yes. I, it's not even oh that. Oh my it's lord, I called lizards seven feet that were not close. You know, yeah. uh, it's it's not just that. Uh, what I'm seeing in my head is seven large water things my back has to carry across <laughs> the floor, down down yeah, to the drain. He wasn't so darn busy. He's supposed to plumb my place. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, know, yeah. So uh, I, I that's how I see Ugh. it. Luckily, I have in my keeping. I only keep water dish <sighs> like big water pans in the setups for so long. Um, I use water, the water cup holder things that you guys have seen now. Um, and, uh, I use those for drinking water and then I'll put a little kitty litter pan in there. And other than that, that's all I mm -hmm. really do. Anything that needs a big, huge water bin. No, thank you. Um, I'm okay right now. That's why I don't keep certain species. I've I downsized after all the health stuff. I, I sold my biggest pair. I sold the seven foot uh, sulfur. I sold, uh, yeah. My female Karma, that big bib female, was dropping twenty to thirty eggs every time. Wow. I mean, she dropped a hundred eggs last season by herself. That's incredible. And that's uh, absolutely incredible. But those that use the water features that were required for those animals. Yeah, are I'm really happy to say that basically ninety percent of my Salvatore Celebensis blood in some way now that I've produced, and basically my biggest monitors are the Niles. Maybe they were Nautis, depending on how big they get now. I will I will take on possibly Mertens at one point. Um 
we'll see. That's yeah, that's a lot of water too. And this would be quite a few years. Other people would basically have to stop breeding them before even trying to take that on. And that would be like to have fun with those species. You might as well just set the plumbing up even before you set up anything else. That's what would happen. Yeah, that was my big mistake. I said when I built my room in two months. I did everything from the generators to the electric that if I would have thought of the plumbing, man, I would have saved myself oh, so many. I mean, I was in the hospital for a damn near a yeah. year. I, and out. Oh, man. That's and a, that's a, at least I, you know how many No, go ahead. Sorry. <sighs> so and that, that, that would have made my life so much easier for my wife when she was filling up water bowls to be able to just pull a drain and fill it up with yeah. the hose. Because we have a hose downstairs already. All you need is yeah. a drain down and you'd be done. Yeah. I got I half the work in. Great conversation for uh, like an actual topic of not just cages, but like the infrastructure to the whole setup. Like, that's got to be right. You know, pipes and and uh, heating elements, heated floors, water, whatever builds cage builds that are quite large. You know, and it's it just there like a heat pad doesn't do anything. You know, a little lamp doesn't do anything. You have to no. put a whole lot more into it than just, you know, I think most of us still kind of keep it where we still can use a heat lamp with the regular setup and throw soil in there. Mm-hmm. You know? But this is like having truck loads of, you know, even if it's a completely decked out room, it's the, the whole thing that makes the room flow well. Cause I, I couldn't, if without any of that stuff, that's why I don't have water monitors or any feature that has, I like, need a spare lift for all the dirt. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm so already doing a good stair <laughs> My plan is the the backyard is now. There's like three different levels back there. So the top I will have the shop on. The plumbing will have drains down into which will be the next level, which will be basically a, like a big greenhouse level. And then the tier under that um, will be the open garden level. That's the idea anyway. And the idea is to use all that great water, basically that waste water to go downhill um, for stuff that I'm just like rinsing things out, not using any chemicals or whatnot and have it flow downhill into that stuff. But these are just great ideas at this point. (laughs) We'll see when I actually get there and I got two months to make it happen. (laughs) Yeah. I was going to say, trust me, man. I I was so proud of me and Steve. We built easily. I mean, we filled a almost 2,300 square foot room. Yeah. In two months with cages. I mean, we probably built fifty feet of cages, something like nah, that. No, man, you have a lot of room still. You got like you can you can cartwheel in your thing. That's a I'm jealous <laughs> of room. my room. Can I have a lot of room. It might fill it. Yeah. If uh, it's right now, it might fill it, and unfortunately, I, ha- I definitely have the babies to fill it now. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I don't know how you do that before. Before we get off, because we kind of talked about all the great stuff going on out there, but um we're getting up there in time a little bit too, but uh, for, for all the people out there working with different animals and whatnot, working with monitors, especially, but this is kind of true for reptiles across the board. Um, I just want to say like, if you kind of notice the, the market right now for reptiles, it's, there's no good way to put it. It's kind of horrible. Okay. It's the worst I've ever seen it. Yes. But if you are looking to get into stuff, it's a great time to get into stuff, but have the right intentions too. Cause if you're not going to hold out through the bad times, what you're going to see is a lot of, um, a lot of animals that were there to try to big dreams and make a 
quick buck. They're going to be for sale or they're already for sale now. Um, and for the people that, I don't know, this, this is what I'm afraid of is that you're going to see, um, things not selling or people getting out of animals because the market's not there. And then we're going to be struggling maybe in another few years to group all the Pilbara rock monitors together. Uh, the, what else are out the King Gorm? I mean, this is just monitors I'm, I'm sticking to, but this could happen across any species, you know, something's going to drop out in price. You're not, you, you think you're going to lose all your money on it. Maybe your intentions were more, uh, along making money than it was keeping the animals or whatnot. And not that there can't be both. There can definitely be both, but, um, be careful. I well, guess. this is where monitors was damning. I heard the best advice ever. I don't know if it was this podcast or one of the pod, one of the lizard podcasts. We'll say ours. Okay, yeah. go ahead. <laughs> uh, the, the gentleman on there was talking about how if you plan on breeding something, you better plan for also holding back everything you produce for at least a year. Yeah. So I built my model based on the fact that I might have to hold back 300 baby monitors. Yeah. You know, including Heloderma and all the other stuff too. But essentially 300 baby monitors could be potentially held back here. It is not as easy as holding back 300 ball pythons. No, not at all. Factor in the fact that that is, I mean, you figure 300 babies, if you're just doing baby cages, you're looking at, what is that, 24 by twos? Right. So <laughs> that, I mean, you're, you're going into 34 by twos. And I'm actually how your spreads okay. are. You know. I'm totally okay with what my indicus give me. So I just, I hatch out, <laughs> yeah. a, I hatch out a few. And then by the time those are raised up, sold, the other ones replace those. And then there may be mm-hmm. a gap of no eggs or no babies, but I'm okay with that too. But having 30 to – even 30 to 40, I couldn't picture a 300. So I, that's why I said I don't know how you do it, man. We got about 50 hatched right now between holdbacks and uh, still for sale stuff, basically. At this point. Yeah. yeah. So it, 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 that included, though, the, the 300 number included rock pythons. It included uh, Mexican black king snakes, Florida king snakes, Heloderma, bearded dragons. I mean, Rudicolis, Niloticus, Salvatore of basically every subspecies. <laughs> um, right. It was a year of dreams for me where it was like, I'm going to try this, and it worked. It wasn't yeah. something special. It was all the dreams came true, and then the market went like this. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, you know what? I am glad I planned to hold these things back. I am glad the majority of these are first-generation like projects for me yeah. where I was only holding back a lot of them anyways because I couldn't imagine being in the situation where you didn't plan for this and you have 50 holdbacks. The, the feed bill alone is going to burn you out. Yeah, that's where I'm I at with Ackies. <laughs> I saw a captive bred celebensis from West Carter for the first clutch ever produced. Wild caught right now go for eighteen hundred. He the guy had it for like nine hundred dollars. See, that's crazy. That's, that's the that's, start of that sphere that you were talking about. But that's the time to grab these animals up. As funny as bad as that sounds, make your own, and the people right. with good intention will survive it. Yes. Yeah, like I said, I had every intention of having these animals. Try to have fun. If you're not in it for fun, at least, man, you won't, oh, you won't survive. Yeah. No. Have fun. Man. These things drive yeah. me up a wall, and I love it. Like, we get yes. it. They make, you know, you can make money. It's a, it's a, it's a cool thing or whatever. But, man, if you, you know, if you like that more than actually the process and the journey through it or hatching the babies out and things like that, that's, 
I mean, that's the littlest things that are the most, you know, rewarding with these animals. So, you know, we, we have to be conscious of, sure, they make money, cost money, take money, all that stuff like that. And then you may not get much back. You know what I mean? I pump a ton into right. mine, but I only hatch a few. And it's because it's not just because they're difficult, but, you know, I just I, I still enjoy them as their pets. So some of them are just lone, you know, and then I I pair up. With yeah, them and I try. But that's why I want so many species. Yeah. Yeah. I can't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. Um, but, you know, I, I did this. I So to be very honest with people, this is what I did with Aki's because over COVID, animals were selling. People were interested in animals. Why they had to stay I inside. I couldn't keep anything. Yeah, it's just the truth. So uh, as a lot of breeders did, uh, you ramped up from 21 into 22 and 22, it's like people were allowed to go back outside and, and, <laughs> and all these breeders are like, ah. I think all of us can remember um, the crash in 2009, 2010, right? That economy crash. Yes. Um, yes. I would have to say that pets get put on the back burner when everybody else is trying to survive, you know, and that's what yeah. happened then. That's what happened then. I know the world is a little bit different now. I was going to say, you know what? I think that I think we're in a unique situation with the pets. I think yeah, genuinely, yeah. with with people working from home more, they want their at home to be more. You might say more fun. They want yeah, their yeah. pets. You see more people that buy dogs. Now, I'm not saying that's always a good thing. You know what? There's a negative side to it. But I genuinely believe our market, our market potential during COVID and all that, spiked so high, and it hasn't gone down. The potential has not gone down. No, we're, like, we're just in a hard time right now financially where the markets have to even up with supply and demand. It all has to even out basically. Yeah. It will even out and there will be, there will be buyers again. There will be sellers still. The people that are complaining are the ones who genuinely had no future plan to keep these animals. Yeah, they, right. they were, they were waiting for the next triple gene, quadruple gene, whatever species they were in that you can't, yeah. you can't wait a year because everything devalues in a year in those markets. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, like most you mentioned don't, being don't. stuck with, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead man. I was, I was saying being stuck with, uh, you know, 50 babies. I, I got stuck with a lot of Ackies that I meant to sell. And, but the thing is they're all here. They're all living. They're all. My kids adore the fact they can go downstairs, just slide a cage open, and a dozen babies want to climb on them. It's, yeah. it's bad. Yeah. So I've given a few away to like family members and whatnot, and uh, whether they're little geckos or, or um, ackies or something. But but yeah, um, that's that's the reality of things. They're all here and um, not digging up some clutches too, or not trying to breed some things. Um, being very. Um, controlled, but I bring this up just for with you guys and for for the rest of the people out there to also be careful because this is kind of when things disappear because no one's paying attention. So oh, um, it is, and that's and this is the time. This is what I was talking about. This is the time to actually hit it. You yeah. know what? Monitors take six months to hatch. Our market, you know, quote me now. Come June of next year, we will start seeing normality again. That's hatch time for stuff that gets laid in December. Yep. You, yep. you know what? And those things don't go for sale till July, August. But people, like I said, who aren't either aren't savvy enough or are too worried about today's profit will be hypocrites because they will be the ones who dump markets while complaining about markets being dumped. Yes. Yep. That, that same person is the one with half off right now. 
Uh, and, and I'm the I'm the jerk who sometimes usually buys those animals. Me too. <laughs> I, you know what, and I have no shame. I was like, wait, wait. You're the going to give away so five years of your work for a couple hundred bucks? Uh-huh. Done. Done. Yeah. Yes. Especially by five years. Oh man. Uh yeah. I oh I don't even know if I should say all the things that I've uh, <laughs> We're just gonna just call them maybe I, I save yeah, I save for somebody else's unfortunate circumstances sometimes. Like, oh, that's really bad. Wait, you're selling what? <laughs> and you're just trying to help them out. It's obviously yeah, just no, out of the goodness of my heart. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yes, yes. So pay attention to what's going on out there, everybody. And uh, I guess, guys, this has been fun. This has been a lot of fun. So um, yeah, I had fun. Yeah. Uh, Rob, we'll have to have you on again. Uh, well, on as many times as you want to come on, we can talk monitors. Today was. Just I was gonna say you. You don't know how much I can talk lizards. My wife is sick of me. My friends are sick of me. I'll talk lizards with you guys anytime. Yeah. Yep. So, all right, um, Rob. Where can people find you? Find me on still just on Facebook and Instagram, Fox Reptiles. Uh, you'll find us on like I said Instagram or Facebook. Uh, we plan on starting a YouTube channel a few months ago. Just haven't gotten there yet. We will have one soon because I, I want to show the process. Yes. <laughs> yes. Kai, what about you, buddy? Uh, you can find me on Facebook and Instagram. I'm on Instagram as big underscore lizard 103. Um, and then I'm mostly on Facebook. So you just, I'm typically just, yeah. just look me up under Kai Fan. Of course, you can hear me here under the NPR network. Where um, else? I mean, I have a YouTube. I don't really utilize it much. Um, but it's uh, Mangrove Mecca on YouTube. You should be able to see some old videos from a couple years ago, at least on there. Um, but yeah, just mostly on Facebook. And you, man? Good stuff. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at uh, origins underscore reptile and on Facebook at origins reptile. Either one of those work. And uh, just to let everybody know, we're brought to you by the NPR network, Morelli Python Radio Network. Uh, great bunch of guys over there. Eric uh, is, is doing all these podcasts. Okay. Well, he's not doing all the podcasts. He has his own podcast that he still does. Um, but he has provided a, an avenue for a lot of other uh, people in the hobby. Um, honestly, I don't know how I got on here sometimes. But <laughs> but uh, I listen to some of these other guys. He's Doctor Who and Who and, and you know talking about this and, and what they've done. And I'm like, ah, I just kept lizards in a box. Um, <laughs> the information out there guys is, is amazing. Uh, so if you can't keep, if you, if you want to keep um, monitors and you can't right now for whatever reason, but you also have an interest in just keeping reptiles, what can you keep in maybe like room temperatures? Uh, look up the Asian rat snakes. Some of those, listen to some of those podcasts. Uh, if you live in Florida somewhere, look at what temps you can keep something safely outside and how to do it. If, if you like the weird stuff, if you get into, well, I say the weird stuff, but for some of these guys, this is, you know, the more obscure it is, the, who knows, dragon snake, aquatic snake, this kind of, only eats this stuff snake there's guys doing that stuff there's guys being successful now with that stuff um and just the general overall if you listen to all of them bits and pieces just something that interests you the overall knowledge that you would acquire to apply into your own animals or your future animals is um priceless i I hate to say it but it is priceless you know 
Um, so I encourage you to get on there and look around. Um, check out their store that they got going on over there. They're still running all the time. Uh, Morelia, for people that don't know, Morelia's Carpet Pythons. Uh, so it's Morelia Ky- Carpet or Morelia Python Radio Network. Um, there's still a calendar every year that these guys put out. Um, there's a contest where people are sending in all their pictures of the different species of carpet pythons and other pythons now too to make up this calendar. Go buy a calendar, hang it up. Um, all kinds of good stuff. So go on their website, check them out. You can find them on all social media platforms too: Facebook, Instagram. Uh, you can go onto YouTube to listen to a lot of these podcasts and other major uh, platforms to listen to all of their podcasts if you check them out. All right, guys. That's all I got. So thanks for coming on, Rob. Yeah, I appreciate the opportunity, guys. Have a good okay, one. Glad to have you on here. Anytime, brother. Message anytime.